Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. For our last episode of the month, Chloe Maviel joins Graham McMillan and I for a salute to Pride via the wondrous medium of comic books and the even more wondrous achievement that is Enigma by Peter Milligan, Duncan Figrito, and Sherilyn Van Valkenburg. Yes, in this three-hour episode, we talk about this nearly forgotten queer classic, as well as the work of John Smith, what the heck is going on with the X-Men, Substack and Nick Spencer, the secret lives of our pets, and much, much more. As always, we welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy. And thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, how are you? You sound great! I, I sound better than normal, I think. Better than usual. Yeah. <laughs> you guys both sound... It It sounds a little more um, uh, distant than last time. Uh, last time we spoke, for some reason, there was less uh, room echo or something. Not we're that in, that's a problem. But, well, you know. we're in a different part of the, the room, basically because it's so sunny and warm right now, that if we were last time... We would both be in direct sunlight and melting. I see. So we're kind I of see. in a cavern. Like I, it is a bit more echoey where we are. Sorry, listeners. That it's okay. I, I'm sure it's the listeners. Shit. Well, you know, thank you, thank you. Because honestly, I'm the one who's going to be suffering through this. So you know, you're going to be suffering for the next two hours. So. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is a perfect way to welcome back to the podcast, Chloe Maviel. Hello, special guest. Hi, Jeff. I'm special. <laughs> uh, you so are. It's lovely. It's lovely to hear your voice again. How are you all doing in the white hot cauldron uh, that is Portland, Oregon? Well, Jeff, we're hot and full of cheese. So doing Ooh. super well right now as I, of this moment. I'm actually not full of cheese. <clears throat> I'm full of prosciutto. I, I we had we had a what, how would you describe our dinner charcuterie yeah we had a charcuterie dinner that was very much you know see what you want and eat it and there was some really tasty prosciutto so that's what I ate I am basically ham right now <laughs> right it's great now. you guys both sound like sort of human fondue pots which mm. uh, which would be great and probably also will be a, a series science fiction series from Image before too long I suspect. <laughs> So. That's part of Spawn's universe, isn't it? Oh my god. You know, honestly, I have to say, if Spawn's fondue was like the fourth of the outrageous Spawn titles that Todd McFarlane is, is trying to launch with a lot of hoopla, I would I would totally be down for the Spawn's fondue. You were up for Spawn's universe. Don't pretend otherwise. You know, I, I so I, we've talked about this throughout the years. To me, one of the things that is so frustrating is... Uh, Spawn's universe had just a crazy Spawn. The Spawn universe has a crazy amount of concepts to it. Not all of them are great. Some of them kind of stank. But, but you know, back you, when you they, think? they. But you know what? But that's the thing. Sometimes with comics, you don't necessarily need good ideas. Sometimes you just need a lot of ideas. You know what I mean? And okay, I, I'm trying to think of a nice way of saying this. But how many ideas are there? Because there's Spawn, and then there's Medieval Spawn, and then there's Dark Ages Spawn. Like, right. Aren't most of the ideas... That's three, basically... then there's Ninja Spawn, that's four. No, there's, aren't there's... the ideas Spawn? 
Plesiocene spawn. That's five. There's there's future spawn. There's future ninja spawn. For real. For real. How many enemies are there in this one universe? Because there's spawn. There's the clown dude. Uh huh. Um. There's not Angela anymore. The angels aren't there because they've been sold after Marvel. Mm-hmm. There's Sam and Twitch. I mean, I I say this to someone who hasn't read the book. I was about to say, Graham, shame on you. I don't hear no, you mention no, Psychor. Where's Redeemer? Like, where's Overkill? I just, I don't even know why I'm having this conversation kill. with you. Yeah, Overt Kill. I'm not even really sure. Anyway, the point being, Graham, the point is, you don't know squat about Spawn, and I kind of heavily reject what you, mister, are trying to infer, which is that Spawn is a... Um, almost creatively bankrupt enterprise um you know uh, being peddled by a, a pill-popping former uh marvel heyday cartoonist who just wants to break into hollywood how dare you let's let's go over to our uh resident spawn expert chloe <laughs> chloe <laughs> oh, no, take I it from here see, i was I haven't read a lot of spawn but i will tell you as somebody who hit adolescence at like the peak spawn point Mm-hmm. Of like a spawn point. Like spawn point. That's the next one coming out. Twenty twenty two. Yeah. Uh, it's the uh, like at the at the peak of spawn in the nineties and the early two thousands. Just as 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 some of us were hitting adolescence, I can now only associate spawn with like guys with long hair that wear backwards baseball caps and talk about gleaming the cube. Mm. Um, nice. Christian Slater. <laughs> Holy smoke. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, I think you've crossed the line. They'll teach you how to wheeze the juice, buddy. And like all of this. <laughs> oh, okay. Bad news, Chloe. You're so entertaining. We're just going to keep pushing you further and further forward so that this amazing Christian Slyber, Polly Shore, maybe Corn and or Fred Durst hybrid just keeps... Keep keep rolling. Keep keep. Well, well, wait. Cor- rolling, rolling, rolling. Cor- yes. Oh, well done. Because that's how Todd McFarlane won the Grammy that allows him to actually describe himself as Grammy winner Todd McFarlane. Oh, he man. did it all for the Nookie. <laughs> Not a corn joke, but I really, really oh, respect how much you and I are on the same limp biscuit uh, wavelength. What I Chloe. absolutely love is she said that and then looked at me and like I made a great joke. <laughs> I'm glad she did, and I'm glad you laughed, because I had no fucking idea what that was. Really? Oh, Graham. Ah, I appreciate you right now more than ever, Jeff. (laughs) I'm going to tell you right now, the Sponge Universe, which comes out this Wednesday, by the way, uh, is followed by King Spawn. King Spawn. Which is then followed by something called Gunslinger. And then that's followed by The Scorched. I've just looked this up. King Spawn sounds like something you could buy at a sex shop. Or a, or a fishing fish. store. Or, you know, or that weird Venn diagram overlap where the fish store and the sex shop, you know. Which I'm sure there are some places in the South. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, Don't you hurt, don't you tarnish the South like that? I'm, I, I'm not tarnishing! Do you think that I would pass up the opportunity to go into a bait shop slash sex shop? You are oh sadly God, mistaken. Shop. Think yeah. about this. Oh my <laughs> God. B-A-T-E shop. Oh, you were a genius. Oh my God. 
Well, anyway, Graham, Chloe and I are going into business together, so this has been... <laughs> I was going to say, there's a reason why the two of you can't be on the same phone call all that. We're literally seven minutes in, you two. Seven minutes. And we've got one masturbation joke right there. Done in one. Nailed it! <laughs> So, um, gosh, we have so many things to talk about in such a yes, relatively short I period want of time. to know what's on your list. Oh, to talk about? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I think I, I do want to out myself on this podcast officially as a dog owner. Um, and so I thought we could at least spend a little bit of time, you know, talking about dogs. Cause, uh, please, cause, please, 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 please. Yeah. One us, we have known this for a while, and we have been arguably more excited about Jeff's dog than Jeff is. <laughs> you know, I would say maybe not arguably, maybe visibly, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. I I just I just scream every time you send dog pictures. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I well, believe me, we we totally squeal when we see the little guy too. Please, please in the show notes. Can you put the image you sent me that you said editing the podcast? Yes, I will definitely put the editing the podcast image in there because it's definitely, it's it's so uh, on point. So yes, so everyone, just so you know, what happened was um, Edie and I have been trying to get a dog for a couple of months and I have been trying for about 20 plus years. But now that we finally have a house and we finally got enough of the construction done, it was time to move forward on it. Um, I thought that it would be good because I, I had a dog when I was a kid, beloved German shepherd. Actually, there was one even before my memory, but, you know, start kicks in. But basically, from the time I was like four or five, I grew up with a German Shepherd, beloved dog, until I was, you know, until she passed when I was like 15, 16. Then I went off to college. My parents got other dogs. Like, it was just, it was, things all went downhill from there as far as I was concerned. But always wanted to get a dog again, but because it's been so many decades since and and also um you know when you're a kid you don't really take care of dogs much you know what i mean like the parents kind of end up having to do the heavy lifting oh no when, so. when you're a kid like the dog is something to be cute and adored you say you'll take care of the dog That's yeah but you right. really don't and then, the dog. and then you're not and you take care of a dog and you're like wait is this new <laughs> yeah <laughs> So, so I wanted I wanted a good first timers dog because Edie, by contrast, has had is never had pets, um, and so it it was kind of I I wanted I, and also I love pugs. Pugs are super adorable. I had some friends who back in the nineties were super obsessed and dragged me to um, a couple of the the weekly get-togethers for pug owners in the city, and I was like, these guys are great. So. We wanted to get a pug as our first dog because everyone's like, you know, um, they're kind of ridiculous messes in some ways as far as, I don't know, you know, the front of their head goes. But as as far as like their personality goes and in terms of, you know, being even tempered and, you know, they're not they're not really barkers and all this other stuff. So great. 
started looking at the pug adoption agencies. I really, this is the other flip side. I would also, in a way, be kind of happy with just having a mutt, you know, because I don't, I feel a little creepy about the way that purebred dogs um, more or less are, have been been bred to kind of, you know, have some really serious um, impediments and birth defects and genetic things passed along down the way just for things that we find kind of cute and you know mutts are usually a little more genetically uh viable you know in the just the sense of they may not you know some of them actually do if you cross two apparent breeds that are a bad mix like the mutt is not in great shape but a lot of times mutts that aren't necessarily from you know weirdish lines that shouldn't be crossed are more resilient smarter healthier etc that said um Edie and i are again at the beginning of the dog journey a little more uh scared and reluctant to to take on something with a pit mix um so all of which was to say we were kind of stymied like we were looking into pug adoption agencies and just getting nowhere and um Edie made the was <laughs> made the smart call which was she was complaining to one of her friends who is an extraordinarily huge dog person and was like I will get you a dog by the end of the day and literally within 2 hours what had a name um, cause she knew someone, Maria, her friend, Maria, who is, uh, uh, basically owns a pug posse has like a household of four pugs, six dogs, four of which are pugs and all of which are from the same family, fa- you know, father, mother, and two kids. Actually, there was a third kid, which was Remy, who was basically the problem child. He'd been... Um, Maria had given him away at a young age to a close friend of hers. Her friend then, unfortunately, basically proceeded to get cancer. Uh, and over the course of the next year and a half, while battling cancer, um, understandably did not pay a lot of attention to the dog, nor did the rest of the family. So Remy kind of spent a lot of crucial time basically outside in the yard being ignored and having to deal with a much bigger uh dog that was the uh, apparently the other family dog and um so there was a whole bunch of issues he was late getting neutered and etc etc so all of which is to say remy came back after the woman passed into maria's household and just wasn't fitting in i mean again maria's got six dogs which is kind of a high count and remy was to territorial had too many issues apparently one of her other dogs is a chihuahua and apparently it was just a a battlefield uh between remy and this chihuahua so even though she loved remy and she'd been working with him for about the year to 18 months that he had been back um he needed that socializing and uh, help and was still kind of rough around the edges and still not really fitting in with her household so we spent one week, and I apologize, Graham, Chloe. I know you know all this. This is like one of those oh, really no, no, bad. No, I, I think this is uh, 
very exciting, and I'm looking forward to getting to the, the week you spent and how both of you felt about Remy during that week. Oh my god. Well, so yes. So we had a test week. Originally, we had talked to Maria, and we were like, hey, we're going to Reno for a week, but when we get back, we, you know... We would love to take him on, and she was like, "Great! Oh, I know. Why don't you? Why doesn't he stay with you for the week before you go to Reno, and then that way you guys can get a sense of if this is going to work for you, and if you all get along well together, and yada yada blah 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 blah." So that was an astounding week, and I guess like it's like four weeks ago now. Um, yeah, it's really not that long. Yeah, um, it, right, because it, it has been. I think we've had we had Remy for a week. We went to Reno for a week then when we came back there was a week without him and then i think he's been here for like two weeks as of today so three out of the last five weeks he's been with us that first week he was getting up um at 4 30 a.m and and killing us just killing <laughs> us day in day out especially because i think Edie just you can you could you know basically inject her with like uh, a circus horse full of ketamine and she still can't go to bed before 10 30 at night you know what i mean so so we were going to bed at 10 30 and then at 4 4 30 like remy was like up up <laughs> and um so by day three we're like okay okay sadly sadly we probably won't be able to keep the dog because we will be dead by thursday but fortunately, start sleeping in a little more. We started figuring out some tricks to make that happen. Um, and uh, yeah, it was quite a week. Like we I, were. I, I want to interrupt and tell yeah. whatnots that while all of that is factually true, Jeff is skipping over the part that when you're like, maybe this isn't going to work out, you were so unhappy. Oh yeah, yeah. You were I, heartbroken at the idea that maybe it wasn't going to work out because yeah. you know. Pretty much by day one, you were like, it's my dog, I love him. <laughs> yes, it is so true. It is so true. Because the other thing that's kind of funny is, you know, so Remy came home with us for a week. We had met him once the prior week in, in the dog park, and uh, and he just seemed like a mess. Like, he, wa he wasn't interested in the dogs, he wasn't interested <laughs> in us, he was just kind of... Like, and it wasn't even like he was skittish. I mean, he, it was clear he was kind of freaked out, but we kind of, we kind of left and it was like, huh, you know, cause again, you, you look at all these books with pugs and there's just like all big eyes and like, oh, I love you. I love you too. You know? And he's like, oh, and they give the playful little yips, you know? And there we were dealing with like kind of kind of the sullen teenage teenager version of a pug you know kind of just sitting there kind of like freaked out you know and clearly had developmental issues and and you felt sorry for him but you also weren't sure he wasn't gonna like stab you so so we were kind of like uh, okay well so we're gonna get a pug and he's not gonna have a lot of personality and he's actually kind of unattractive even by pug standards and you know what we'll we'll give it a try and we'll make it work. Honor. No 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 no. This is this was based on that first time, like I said. The first day when we brought him home, like when we went and picked him up, it was like, Oh my god, he's adorable. 
like we saw him again and was like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> he really made a bad impression or something. So we threw him in the car. It was just a unbelievable, like, circus getting him home and just all kinds of emergencies and crazinesses and him freaking out and Edie and I just sort of desperately babbling at him, you know, like as if he understood in the best of times. And, um, but he, yeah, he absolutely is like just the sweetest. And what's really amazing is he kind of has a, a bunch of different looks. He gets, he's got a real puppy look to him that I love. He's got a, um, kind of a, a mournful jowly dog look i don't i don't know i don't understand like he just releases his face and all his extra jowls move forward i'm not sure he's like a pug master in disguise but he is he is just great i think he is absolutely adorable he is um he's you know i think i told you our nickname one of one of our many nicknames for him is frank booth because his uh his uh, he's got a really weird a relationship with his sleeping bed and a lot of people are like oh yeah 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 you know your dog your sleeping bed it's a little you know because he was sort of late to um uh yeah just say it. he fucks the bed just say it no 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 no. see but this is it okay so you know he he did he got he got neutered late um and so he sort of dry humps the bed you know not not necessarily to con- completion, but the thing, the reason why he's earned the name Frank Booth is, is there's something a little sexually off about it? Because he, it's not just that he has to hump the bed, it's that he has to slap it around a lot, and the whole time he's kind of like, <laughs> I mean, it really is all but him going, Mommy! Mommy! And then he, he like, folds it all up, and then he sort of starts, ha, 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 impotently thrusting, and the whole time he's like, <laughs> I mean, the first four times. So, I actually, it's, I actually can freak out Edie at certain points because well (laughs) so there'll be times when we'll be in the room and we'll just see him look over at the bed and I'll start going she wore blue velvet anyway it's it's really disturbing but it's also really funny yeah, so I don't, I don't really know. Like, I'd be like, yeah, humping would be one thing, but the whole, the whole nine yards of it is a little extreme. Yeah. If it so. makes you feel any better, one of our cats does the same thing with a fleece blanket that we have to keep downstairs for him. We just call it. We call the blanket his wife. Yeah. And like he just he, but he has to bite it. Yes. He, he doesn't beat it up, but he bites it, and then he folds it up under himself, and then he chirps at it a little while, and then just goes to town, and then just kicks back, laying down like a human on the couch, and just sucks his own dick for like ten minutes. <laughs> well, that's that's a hell of a finish, I gotta and say. He got, and he got neutered late, too, so I think that's a thing. It is a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you get neutered to the point where it goes long enough to where you, you hit, uh, essentially, animal puberty... You kind of still have these associations going on, and um, and like I said, but the you know which was one thing, and Maria was like, "Hey, so yes, you know, it, it was kind of like we're like, so you does he have any toys?" At some point, don't yeah. be scared. Yeah, no kidding. 
<laughs> it was like she was like I was like, so does he have any toys that he she, he plays with? And she's like, just his special friend. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> uh, boy, does he? Yeah, and believe me, he plays with his special friend a lot. So, um, and it, the weird thing is, of course, you know, we, uh, Edie and I do not have kids, don't have other pets, and you know me, I'm always fond of spending money anyway so we've gotten like two different doggy beds for him actually three uh for the different areas of the house and i i swear to god every one of them and it's he's serially monogamous i will give him that there will be one that he just goes to town with and the rest of them it's like they don't it's kind of callous, I have to say. I've like no, looked at. I love that for him. Oh, <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad he seems pretty happy with it too. Don't get me wrong. And thank God the the special fr- his old special friend is you know an inanimate object. And I mean, let's face it. If Aeneas Nin had wrote yeah, the Velveteen yeah, Rabbit, or the new special friends, I don't want you to think that the new beds are alive. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, fine. He needs to believe. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm not. I'm not. I, I'll have to. I'll. I'll break it to you. I'm not. I'm not convinced. You guys don't make a convincing case. So, um, anyway, so I, I the first week, everyone's like, "So you got a dog?" I'm like, "No, not really. No, no, no." Because I was just afraid it was going to fall apart. It wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. You told me that you're picking him up. And then the next time I talked to you, I was like, you've got a dog. And you were like, we'll give it two weeks. Yes. As if, like, at some point in those two weeks, Remy would just turn around and be like, nah, this isn't working out. <laughs> I actually... You would say, we're, we're all in. Yeah. We'll give it two weeks. Yeah. You were very, very cautious about it. You really were very cautious about it. Well, so there's, the, uh, there's a couple of factors. One of them is, like... Maria is like the dog's mom's dog mom. You know what I mean? Like she has six other dogs, but we were talking to her a little bit and like she makes them breakfast every morning. You know what I mean? Or not every morning, but a couple of mornings a week. And she's like, yeah, so I do, you know, basically she, she's like, I'll, I'll make rice and then I fold in the chicken and then I move in the egg. And then, and I mean, it's just, it's crazy. She makes her own chicken treats, like she bakes them and then she she cuts them up. She has she has a doggy movie night where she what? yeah okay. she gets all I'm, the dogs I'm together all for making the dogs their food. Admittedly, the, the treats is a bit much, but a doggy movie night is maybe a bit too far for me. Oh yeah, I mean you know hard hearted bastards. Even you do not have a movie night just for the animals. What do you think I do when y'all are podcasting every other Saturday? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's I think that's great. I think that's wonderful, Chloe. And part of me is like, I would love to get uh, animal movie night recommendations from you. Except I'm sure that I don't think that Remy can handle whatever you're dishing out for your pets. I don't doubt that... <laughs> You know, they're the. You know, I. It's like I was trying to find out from Maria. I'm like, what? What movies do you show your 
dogs, like like just dog movies, like Benji. And she's like, oh, you know, the, the purpose of a dog. Have you seen that one? You know, and so admittedly, I'm not sure I want to go to that end of the spectrum, but I'm not sure I'm very comfortable where yours, like, they call her one eye and, you know, I spit on your grave is being shown to, like, I'm not sure. I, like I said, I'm just not sure Remy can handle that. Sadly, you missed this because I had to mute the microphone because I was sneezing. But um, Steel Magnolias was identified (laughs) as... as... (laughs) Look, we just really, really like Sally Field, okay? I, 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 no judgment. No judgment, you know? Like, that's... Steel Magnolias, really? Is that... I I shit you not, Steel Magnolias has been a topic of conversation more than once in the last couple of weeks here. Wow. Wow. Okay. In large part because uh, Chloe was referencing... A particular character as if I knew Steel Magnolias off by heart. And I was like, I don't know who that is. Isn't that the film with Shirley MacLaine in it? And she was like, I can't remember what Shirley MacLaine looks like. And it was the same character. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. That was was the whole confusion. You were referring to that person as Shirley Shirley MacLaine. And she had, what was her name? The character's name? Sally Field? No, it's Charlie McLean's character. Oh, Miss Weezer. Yeah, you had Miss Weezer playing Miss Weezer. I gotta say, Miss Weezer sounds like an awesome name for a dog, too. I, if You know? <laughs> That's like, a second dog. That's when you decide to get more than one. Well, you know, it's I funny. We throw something at you. We are thinking about getting a second dog, but it's going to be kind of tricky. Because, I mean, we have to get comfortable with Remy. Oh, anyway, so part of me was like, maybe he's not, one, you know, he'll spend a week with us. And then he goes back to Maria. And, and like, after movie nights and having his meals handmade for him, you know, it was, it was kind of like, yeah, maybe maybe he's either A, he's not going to want to come back. Or my worry was Maria would get him back and realize, like, oh, I love this guy. And it's yeah, true. She really does love him. And... And honestly, that first week when we were hanging out with Remy, it was like by like day three or four, we're like, yeah, he, he likes us. Look, I can walk in the room and look, see his little tail swish. And then Maria showed up to pick him up and he lost his mind. Like he just turned into like doggy liquid for a second and then reformed as a better version of himself and just like his eyes couldn't stop rolling in his head. He was so thrilled that, you know, there was everything, but the, so I kind of felt like, Oh, okay. Like, you know, we were probably a pretty, you know, it was like summer camp. I'm sure Maria took him back and was like, you know, I'm glad he went. I'm glad he had those experiences, but... Um, but he's my dog. Yeah, but he's my dog, right? So I really wanted to hold out, um, I, I, you know, be reserved in case she was like, you know what, he's a huge pain in the ass, but, uh, you know, it, it, in terms of making him work with everyone else, but I love him, so I'm... I'm I'm going to make it work. Thank and in fact when we you know when it was a we went to Reno and sur- survived my mother-in-law and made it back and we're like, "Hey, we're back. When can we pick up Remy?" She's like, "Oh, really sorry. It's going to be a week. Maybe a week and a half." And we were like, "Uh, uh-uh? you know, and I was like, "Damn it. I knew it. I knew it." Um, you were underselling it, Jeff. You turned into the saddest sad sack to ever sad. <laughs> Um, 
yeah, that I think that's <laughs> I think that's an accurate description. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so yeah, it was. Oh my god, it was hilarious. Like the after he left us that first time. Like I think we made it about three hours, and then I I like turned to Edie and I'm like. I miss him so much! <laughs> and I was breaking out photos on my phone and we were re-watching videos. And she's like, dude, really? And I'm like, look, he's so good. I'm never going to see him again. So anyway, he's back. He's been great. He's just an enormous pain in the ass, but we, we love him. And we start doing dog training, which you guys both, I know, gave a lot of uh, caveats about but I think sort of worked well. But I got to tell you, it was hilarious because we took him to this dog class on Wednesday. And it's at this recreation center down in Half Moon Bay. And so there was like maybe it was a pretty, quote unquote, full class, which is to say there was about 10 or 11 people with their dogs. We were all around in this big circle inside this community center. And it it was absolutely absolutely hilarious because at one point like every one of the like the woman's out there showing like sit and stay commands with her own dog and all of the people all of the dogs are paying attention and remy has his ass turned he's like not even looking at any of them he's just staring out the open window like so wistfully like yanking on the leash just like i really was i was like that's our boy like you know poorly socially adjusted like obsessive a hoarder you know all all he's just the perfect mesh of both of us so um yeah it was great it was great it's it really has been pretty pretty wonderful we gave him a bath before this um which is which is probably part of the reason why I'm like, wow, I can't wait to talk to talk about comics, considering the amount of damage I've had to my frontal lobe in the last forty five minutes. Um, and that's why we're here, Jeff. Exactly. A little bit more. Don't fix it. <laughs> One of us is correct. Hmm. So mm-hmm. what what's the pet situation in your household? Like There's it's... a shitload of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right now there are three dogs and four cats. Wow, four cats. Yeah, yep. one of them isn't ours. Okay, but but he kind of is. The one who fucks the blanket is, in theory, a neighbor's cat who lives here, and like yeah. the neighbor knows. The oh, neighbor of course. Will like yeah. reference the fact that we have their cat, and it's not like. Seems okay with it. You, you kind of got to. I mean, the neighborhood cats really do. Do you ever hear about that thing where the 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 guy was on Zillow or whatever, looking at one of his neighbor's houses and was pissed because he realized his cat was in the in the <laughs> house photos and was like, "Wait a minute!" So, I mean, you know, you're kind of a yeah, chump. You know, no, if we, you have, expect we have a lot of animals here. Uh, yeah, thankfully they all coexist, which is yes. nice. Yeah, you that's know, great. There's no, there's no crazy wars or anything happening. Which is amazing, uh, because Ernie and Gus are practically, you know... They're cats. <laughs> is is that the best way to understand them? Honestly, like, they, the two of them and the, the neighbor's cat mm-hmm. are basically the same animal. <laughs> and really, 
oddly enough, they all get on really well. Like, the three of them got on really well. Really? Yeah, it's so strange. Huh. That's um, fabulous. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really kind of weird. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, they, they, are, they are basically cats. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we have Tango, who's a big... He is... 105 pounds of a Staffordshire Terrier Pitbull mix. Wow. And he was born in the apartment, in the closet of my first apartment, because I also owned his mom. And my best friend owned his grandparents. (laughs) Wow. That's a lineage. he, this week, went to the vet. Sorry, the whatnots. We're literally just doing pet talk this week. I'm sorry. Um, He, this week, went to the vet and got a second opinion that every time that we think that he's really unhealthy or like he has really bad, bad like joints or something, uh, or for that matter, he has bumps all over his body that we are consistently concerned is, is something serious. No, he's fat. <laughs> no, he's yeah. just fat. He's just, I mean, he's 14 years old. Well, so, yeah. Like for, for pit bulls, especially he is past the point of being senior. He's like, he's basically a crypt keeper. and and every everybody that we've taken him to i'm like oh i'm just really worried because cancer runs in his family and in his lineage and all this stuff and i'm really concerned and they're like girl put your dog on a fucking diet (laughs) so uh we finally had to do that this week and he's very very unhappy so if you see and hear any uh terrible deep barking in the background that's a dog that's really mad that he doesn't get his last cup of food <laughs> oh poor boy yeah we were also told our 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 dog trainer you know because we were asking because we've got a, we've got a harness uh for remy and her big thing was like for training you got to have a collar got to have a collar won't accept harnesses it's got to be a collar and we're like there's all kinds of information on the internet saying that you really shouldn't put a pug in a collar because, you know, the their whole they choke so easily. Everything in their face and head and neck is super super vulnerable, and uh, you just can't do that. So anyway, we were like, and she's so, like, no collar. Yeah. They'll well, never respect you if you don't choke them. Yeah, I mean, kind of. It's not really the choking thing. Her way of putting it is like, no, you you want their. You want the attention of their brain. You're trying to communicate with their brain, not their body. Which I'm like, what? But you're doing it by choking them with the... Anyway. But the thing that was great, she was like, oh, and also, you do know that your dog... They did tell you your dog's fat, right? Or she didn't say that. She said, they did tell you your dog's overweight, right? And and we're like, uh, no. She's like, yeah, he is. Just looking at him. Like, how much are you feeding him? And Edie told She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta, you gotta cut that in half right now. Because that is... He is he is overfed. It, she's okay, like, I, I I have a question about this. Were you feeding him what the foods tells you to feed him? What the like? Are, are you buying like kibble or, or or canned foods? And it's like you know, for dogs their size and their age, you should feed them X amount, and that's what you're doing. No, 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 no. Because this is the thing. We followed what Maria told us. You know, Maria's oh, okay. had him for like you know eighteen months, and so she had all this stuff. It's like feed him this much here, and you feed him in the morning, and then in the in the evenings. And again, it was a little hard to. As we spent more time with Remy, we kind of got the sense of like, oh yeah, maybe 
she Maria was spoiling Remy a little more yeah. than she was willing to let on. But but yeah. So, so re- what's that? Say, the, the reason I'm asking is that's what the vet told us about Tango. Because mm. we we have been feeding them exactly what it is recommended, mm. mm-hmm. and the vet was like, "No, they're lying." Right. They want you to buy more dog food, so they're telling you to feed him twice as much as he needs. Wow. That's why your dog is fat. Holy smokes. Uh, well, it could be that she picked that stuff up the same way, but I don't know. In any event, what's been nice is, of course, poor guy, since he is starving, um, he's been super receptive to some of the training that we've been doing. <laughs> so, because, I mean, this seriously. started starving him. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, I know. Isn't that the whole fucking home pet ownership thing? He doesn't seem that miserable, frankly. Um, I, I, I don't know. Like, he... You don't get the sense. I don't know. It's the it's the weird thing. Like, he definitely went through a period this week where we're like, okay, either he's gotten more comfortable with us or he's just lost the will to live. Because there was a lot more during his first week with us and then his first week back it was like i would work and he would kind of sit at my feet and then he would go in and lay on his bed behind edie where like edie was working you know and then sort of trot between the two of us and we'd pet him while working and it would be like oh this is the best and um this last week he's just like he's in the living room and i mean he just looks forlorn i think he's missing his buddy cheese like nobody's business you know so yeah just just fond memories of the time they used to have is he he literally just lies there for hours staring into the middle distance you know so wait are you guys talking fondly about cheese now did you did you did you mute this? Is are we are we back to talking about fondue? Is this is this what's happening? Uh, no 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 no. Actually, I was just saying she also stares off at the middle distance. Thinking about cheese, dude. I do too. I mean, that's it again. What a perfect dog! Like seriously, but yeah, but I mean, it's also kind of like for long periods of time. So because that's the thing, dogs can't read comic books, so you, they don't have anything to distract them from their cheese desires. You know? To be fair, I mean, what dogs would... I was going to say, what comic books would dogs read? And then I was like, wait, they're making a Super Pets film, so I think that answers the question. Are they... Uh, oh, is it a Super Pets film? Oh, yeah, did you not see? They're doing an animated Super Pets film. Oh, that's with, great. Uh, the Rock is one of the voices. Oh, I think I did see that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. I love the idea that he's just doing that so he can contractually get out of that black item nightmare. Like, they're like, you gotta give us something. They're also making that as we speak. Yeah, that's what they say. We'll see. <laughs> uh, eight stars. Dwayne Johnson, Kevin Hart, Kate McKinnon, John Krasinski, Vanessa Baird, Natasha Leon, Diego Luna, and Keanu Reeves. Wow. Wow. Yep. That's a list of the queer community's crushes from, oh. like, 2005. And Jimmy Lee apparently has also joined the cast. Christ. <laughs> How would you characterize her, Chloe? I'm curious. I'm sure the queer Look, community has we thoughts. We like Legendary in this I house. like Legendary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm here for Legendary all day long. It's fine. She's going to be Titania in the, the She-Hulk show. Oh, boy, yep. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> you win some, you lose some. <laughs> 
Hey, speaking of uh, shows, um, I think one thing, one of the feedback that we got, apart from that it was wonderful having you on, Chloe, uh, was that um, both of you actually managed to convince a number of people to start watching uh below decks and they're still they're still really angry about it so do you guys have any other current uh reality show fixations or recommendations it's not a reality show but we have spent the last week watching pose oh yeah and but that's just good that's not a bad recommendation if you want a bad recommendation go back and re-watch all of america's next top model but skip no. every episode except for the makeover ones just watch the makeover ones and i swear to god it turns into the stanford prison experiment <laughs> Watching Tyra countless over and over again, just getting a smug, sinister look on her face when a girl starts crying when they cut her hair. Ugh. It, it adds five years to my life. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, that's an, that's an excellent recommendation. No, There's... it's not. There's not a single there's not a single moment of that that doesn't sound harrowing is what I was going to say on top of my my that but I mean that's what that's what I was hoping for considering the number of people who actively hated us as a result of our previous recommendation that seems like just, a good follow up Can you just name the episode this episode smizing <laughs> I shall <laughs> Um, although, do I have to know how to spell that? Is it... I, I literally heard you write down smizing, which is the best part. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Nope. I did it. I don't know. It's probably the way it sounds. S-M-I-Z-I-N-G. It right? doesn't... If you spell it wrong, it's better. It's fine. Oh, that's the worst. It's it's bad enough when, like, Graham, like, recommends all these, like, graphic novels that aren't out yet that I have to find either the, pictures the for internet, or the names in the show notes. The so. internet tells me it's S-M-I-Z-I-N-G. Smizing. <laughs> was that... Yeah. Hmm. Smizing. Can I tell you the Urban Dictionary definition of it, which is appropriate for this? Please. To smize is smiling with your eyes. Tyra Banks taught the models how to smize in America's Next Top Model. <laughs> yeah, I would think that smizing would be spelled very differently then, but, huh, okay. That makes sense. Smizing. Wow. Okay. That well, thank awful, you. But you're welcome, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Brutal. Brutal. I feel like there was something else we were going to talk about before we get to the stuff that we were supposed to talk about. Uh, I don't remember. What else were we going to talk about? Mm -hmm. Uh, I I don't know. I think that was it, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, do you guys want to talk? Do you guys want to talk comic news? Do you want to talk comic comics? Talk do you want to talk comic pride? Jeff, and I will say things like, I can't tell you anything about this on the record, but I'll talk to you after we stop recording. <laughs> oh, good. I'm so glad. I'm actually looking forward to the to uh, maybe this podcast. We can get both you and Chloe to say that, which would be fabulous. <laughs> I, I will tell you that um, I have been working on a story about the Substack comics thing, mm-hmm. and and this is in no way a spoiler for the story, but it said something I can't really put in it. The number of creators I reached out to for comment who basically said, I have no fucking idea what Substack is, was amazing. <laughs> really? Um, I will spare their blushes by not saying their names on the podcast, but yeah, just you wait for when we stop recording. <laughs> 
Wow. Well, it's yeah, weird. Le- legit. I had I had a surprising number of creators say uh, I don't I don't understand this. To be honest, I don't even understand. And they would reference like people said, I don't even understand NFTs. I don't understand Kickstarter. I don't like the the amount of people who would say maybe this is going to be a thing, but I genuinely don't know what it is. Wow. And I don't understand the internet. Was honestly surprisingly high. Well, I guess that's. I mean, I guess that is surprising, but it's also I don't know. Maybe it's not. I mean, depending on who you are. Um, the thing I. I, yeah. One of the people who did that is a creator who uses Substack for their newsletter. <laughs> Wait, and, and still said that. Whoa, okay, that's impressive. That's yep. really impressive, then. Yep. Um, and that's well, when you know they mean it. Yeah, right. <laughs> you even know that they're already using it. That's when you know they mean it. Yeah, yeah. They they really yeah. They're not just being coy at that point. If they're actually like, I'm using this and I don't know why or how. Well, so my thing is, and maybe this is why I don't understand, but okay, first off, what I saw was the headline was that Nick Spencer had been signed by Substack to, yes. to mm-hmm. write. And yes. I, A, have there been other writers announced? And, and I guess B, part of me is like, I mean, what kind of clown thinks that comic books are made by writers? You know what I mean? Like, uh, I just don't... B, apparently Substack, and A, no writers have been announced because they didn't say that Nick Spencer was writing a project for them. Nick Spencer's been hired to do creator outreach. Oh. Oh, I see. So Nick Spencer is doing creator outreach? Nick, Nick Spencer is actually an employee of the company. Uh-huh. And he's not an employee to create a comic. He's an employee to get other creators to sign up. Ha! Huh. So they actually technically have not announced any creators for Substack. I see. And what exactly are Nick Spencer's credentials for that, apart from being, like Substack, kind of secretly right-wing? I mean, I was about to say his credentials are being a low-key fascist, but... Right. But that's the thing. Yeah. yeah, we're uh, on the same page first, there. First so. of all, you're kind of spoiling the story, I'm glad I've written. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about it. I wish I could say I'm joking. Um, what are his credentials? His credentials are he's Nick Spencer. Mm-hmm. Basically. Um, I, I don't know. One of the things that was in an early draft of the story, and I took out because honestly it felt a little mean, mm-hmm. was... Nick Spencer doesn't even feel like a creator who is, like, well-known or a leader within his community. Yeah, right? I mean, you know that's... I mean? Like, yeah. You think of, uh, like, you could even think of Tom Taylor or Tom King. And mm-hmm. they have creators they banter with. They have creators they're friends with. They seem to have, like, a group around them. You think of Bendis, he clearly has a group around him. Right. You know, you think of Frankie Vaughn with, with um, Panel Syndicate. And there's a group of creators... And when you think Nick Spencer, you're not like, oh, man, if Nick's coming, then obviously he's going to bring, you know, because that's like when you think of Nick Spencer, you either think, well, remember Morning Glories, that never finished. Or you think, is he still writing comics? I guess he's been writing. Yeah. Or he's been writing Spider-Man for three years and everyone forgets it exists. Right. Right. You know, you don't you just don't think, oh, well, that guy's got a, a, you know, a massive following in the community. Maybe he does. And it's, it's very secret. But, oh, um, but it's 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 a genuinely odd choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only the only way in which it's not odd to me is 
Nick Spencer has always, from day one, seemed like a creator who was more interested in the optics of writing comics than writing comics. Oh, interesting. Uh, you know, it, I, I think of things like when Morning Glories was new. I feel that there was lots of, you know, Morning Glories would make a great TV show stories. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I don't, I, I always felt like making comics was sort of a byproduct for, to wherever he wanted to be. Hmm. I know that it was clear where he wanted to be, but it always seemed like, you know, again, to compare him to, I don't know, um, Josh Williamson or, or I'm trying to think of, or Donny Cates even, mm-hmm. right? I believe Donny Cates probably wants to be writing comics. They're mm-hmm. shit, but I believe that he wants to be writing comics, mm-hmm. right? And Nick Spencer, mm-hmm. I don't even get that from him. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm wrong. Like, there's probably people listening to this being like, oh, man, remember Superior Foes of Spider-Man or remember The Fix? In which case, go with God, you guys. But... <laughs> I, you know, I it's always seen, it has always seemed like the thing he was doing when he wasn't, you know, running for office or whatever. Like, did you remember he had a political career? Yes, yeah. In fact, I I I was going to sort of half I, I half recollected that, but that kind of it's fits neatly career where what he, you're saying. He, he was like, why don't we defund social services to pay for the police? Yeah, which was actually a policy what? he had. Yeah, like legitimately was. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like, he was low-key racist in his policies. Right. Uh, and in his interviews at the time. Uh, and again, this is on the record. This is not me being like, oh, man, if only you were there. Like, you can look it up. Mm-hmm. Um, he was all about uh, the broken windows policy. He, he wanted that. He wanted them to use Comstat. Right. Uh, like, he, he really was kind of, when you look back at it now, it's like, oh, Fuck. <laughs> right. And w- and where was this? Was this Cleveland? Where was this? Uh, Cincinnati, I think. Cincinnati. Okay. Maybe it was Cleveland. I can't remember. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I would be shocked Hardly if I with C, and that's all we can remember. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, so yeah, he's he's a, a fascinating individual. If by fascinating you mean like, mm, Right. Interesting choice. And so, to put a bit more context into this, the Substack comic program is, in theory, part of Substack Pro. Substack Pro is the public name they gave to the fact that they pay writers. And right. initially, paid writers in secret. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Because this came out in March, and they paid writers in secret uh, to make it look as if Substack was profitable for writers. Right. Which is dodgy as shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look at who they paid... And that is also, holy crap. Yeah. Graham Linian got kicked off of Twitter for being transphobic, and then Substack gave him thousands of dollars. Yeah, yeah. In secret. Right. You know? Like, shit. That's, mm-hmm. that's not good. Um, so, yeah, so they that, that came out, uh, and Substack initially were like, uh, no, never mind, and then went, oh, it's part of our new program, Substack Pro. We pay... And at the time they went, we pay up more than 30 writers and not all of them are transphobic, which was, <laughs> I'm only vaguely exaggerating. No, no, I know because I know that some of their people are like, yes, Glenn Greenwald, Barry yeah. Weiss, Andrew Sullivan, like just. Yeah, they, they, but their actual, their actual statement was, we pay writers of different viewpoints 
Um, and then they actually said, and they're not really transphobic. <laughs> wow. For real, they actually said that in their statement. Huh. Um, which I think is, you know, telling on yourself to an amazing degree. Well, I mean, are they saying are they saying that Graham Graham Linehan's the only transphobic writer? No, no, no they're, they're saying that really none of them are transphobic. Really, it, to which you know that's not bullshit. Really, <laughs> you know that's astonishingly bullshit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so they came out and said, "Oh, it's Substack Pro. This is our thing. We we pay people now, um, but we're definitely not a publisher." Um, we're definitely like we're only a platform for individual publish for individual people publishing, like that's great, but but we do pay people to write, mm-hmm. right. and we didn't tell anyone before now because maybe you would have gotten upset, and it turns out you did get upset, but now we're telling you we're not going to tell you who they are though. Oh right, we're not going to tell you who they are, which is also genius because it really yes. is. It yes. it returns to those classic days of like, hey, maybe maybe you can actually make money like uh, yeah, doing a newsletter for Substack, or you know maybe all the people who are talking about people may, that have made money, you know, are you know are people that we are paying, and they would yeah. see nothing if it wasn't for that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, I think it was last month. Might have been the beginning of this month. Um, Substack all of a sudden were like, oh, and also you can make money publishing fiction on Substack as well. It's not just non-fiction <laughs> writers. You can make money with fiction because we've moved Substack Pro to include fiction writers. Right, right. And then last week they went, and comics, because we've hired an expanser to do comics. Right. Um, and by do but, comics, we mean reach out to other people to get them papers. to do comics. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow. All right. Um, and so, as of currently, to the best of my knowledge, and I say this having asked Substack, there is no one officially doing it yet. I think, from talking to some people, there are people unofficially doing it, and it just hasn't been announced yet. Uh, I think I think there are definitely people who have worked on and are ready to launch projects. Hmm. Um. But officially, no one who is currently publishing comics on Substack, and there are people already publishing comics on Substack, um, no one who is is part of this program yet. I don't think they've officially launched the first project yet. Um, but it's having looked into what this actually is, it is somewhere between vaporware and for the people who get the money, just an astonishing deal. Yeah, right. Because they will. There is the problem of, in Substack's eyes, they are hiring the writer, and the writer hires everyone else, and the writer is in charge of how all the money gets distributed because Substack is only paying the writer. That's a problem. That seems like it could go south really quickly for everybody else involved. Yeah, unless they get a contract, right? Mm-hmm. But the flip side of this is Substack takes literally no rights, zero. So if you're one of the writers who gets this and you get a good team together and, you know, assuming you get a good partnership and contract down with your team so everything's square, yeah, you can publish through Substack and then, you know, take it to Image. Right. And for all intents and purposes, like, publish it as a new project through Image, but it's already fully funded. Right. You already have, like, it's all, you don't have to put any of your money forward. You know, which feels amazing right 
but also, like, how many people are actually going to get this deal? So, <laughs> I, was, I was about to say, no, which wait, is wait. perfect for Ethan Van Skyver's Cyber Frog and for the rest oh, of, if, you know. If they, like, if it ended up being Ethan Van Skyver or something. Well, it's not just the who get the, it's, it, it's, it's who's going, what kind of people are going to get well, exactly, this deal. Exactly, right? Um, we shall see. So, But the deal itself, putting aside the fact that Substack is... Uh, you know, kind of a shitty company <laughs> and mm-hmm. has made kind of shitty moves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're a creator who gets this deal, it's well, sure. kind of a deal. Yeah, exactly. I it's mean, it just, is kind of great. Also, if you're a creator who gets offered this deal, you kind of have to look into, do you really want to go do this deal? Right. Right? Because who, like, where's that money coming from type deal? All I'm saying is, thank God that Neil Gaiman's got his Sandman TV show to keep him busy, because otherwise, yeah. Imagine the tales that could be woven. Oh, I believe me. Email the weaving of tales. Exactly. Exactly. Joe Thompson would be kept busy. Actually, that would be that would be fantastic. That's what Marvel needs to do: is just announce they're going to finish reprinting Miracle Man as a series of Substack newsletters. Um, <laughs> Don't tempt them. <laughs> Not even for seconds, Jeff. Um, and then other comic book news. I feel like there. I feel like there was some stuff that I just was not paying attention to. Let's see, Nick Spencer's leaving Spider-Man as a result of this deal. I think that just falls under, like, again, is anyone actually paying attention? Right, right, yeah. Um, What else has been announced? Has has any interesting news Has there been anything? Like, Chloe, can you think of anything that kind of rocked your world? She's looking at me blankly, which I think means no. Yeah. I mean, not not particularly. Spawn Universe sold a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Woo! 200,000 copies, apparently. Yeah, which just... I mean, that's the thing. Todd McFarlane, you can't trust his... You can't trust his figures. You... Because you remember the whole scam, right? Award-winning... Grammy Award-winning Todd McFarlane? You can't trust these figures? Well, I mean, because he's Grammy Award-winning comic book store owner, right? Wasn't that the whole thing? Is he's got... Yeah, Yeah, he's... He or brother-in-law or whatever and so he used he used to know when to have his brother-in-law or whoever owned his comic store or managed his comic store would buy tremendous amounts of spawn books to get him like on the charts or get him charting so that's amazing yeah actually kind of great yeah so i mean that's kind of my thing of like when those announcements were made i'm like boy are they still is he still pulling those that kind of you know sham around where it's like allegedly. you know 200,000 yes allegedly 200 187,000 copies of Spawn's universe will be showing up at Todd's store in Washington and he will be giving them away as signed copies for the next 3,000 convention appearances or oh god awesome. yeah so what I was thinking was we could um totally run through a quick list of what we've been reading the last couple of weeks and what we're into and then we will move into our pride-based discussions as okay i'm looking forward to what you're euphemistically calling the pride-based discussions but yeah go jeff go wait me no you guys go yeah well no you, you start with what you've been reading 
<sighs> okay, give me a second I'm, here. I'm saying that in part because, honestly, I've been reading uh, weird shit again. Well, of course, Graham. I mean, I'm sure I would too, sort of. But that's, but like, what kind of weird shit? Um, I have been reading for the thing that I'm not publicly talking about. Got it. Uh, lots of history of DC and um, comics in general. Okay. Uh, and I put I put like two and two together and actually got answers to things, which is very exciting for me. But again, I can't talk about it publicly. Mm. Um, sorry, whatnots. Uh, I'm, that's just going to be like frustratingly vague for all of you. Um, I've also been reading a lot of old 2018 again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really did after Drock last time get into a, oh, you know what I like? I like Judge Dredd. I just want to read Judge Dredd. I want to read Judge Dredd type things. Mm-hmm. And so I'm already halfway through the next case files. Sorry, mm-hmm. Jeff. Um, I read like two or three Rob Williams collections of, of Dredd. Uh, I went through basically all of the John Smith stuff that's available for Dread, uh, oh. for, for for Fleetway. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, so um, that's the Tony Rex collections that were in the um, magazine. Which are so good. Um, but also, like, Devil Maw and Indigo Prime and, uh, and like, Cradle Grave. And, like, there's a bunch of, of, of John Smith stuff out there. Uh, and digitally, there's a lot more now. Reviewers come out. Uh, Slaughter Bowl is coming out. Is coming out, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, and there's another one. Firekind. Firekind's coming out. Uh, and Firekind is maybe my favorite of them. That or Revere are, are two amazing things. And also, Chloe's giving me a look because Chloe's also <laughs> been reading a lot of John Smith and she's like, you're stealing everything I've been reading. <laughs> I did it's... it first, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. The reason I was, I was reading it was because Chloe was re- uh, reading it for the Neotext piece. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I like John Smith too. Ha-ha. <laughs> um, and, and I've been reading a bunch of, of uh, comp stuff, of stuff that's, that's coming out or is, is about to come out. Um, one, one of the reasons I keep making jokes about Spawn Universe is the uh, image of set out a Spawn Universe PDF. Ooh. And I've not read it yet, but I'm gonna. Damn I, right you are. I've not read a Spawn comic in maybe 30 years, but but nonetheless, this is meant to be a jumping on point. I'm going to test that theory. Yeah, I really am. <laughs> um, I've also been reading... Uh, I've been trying to catch up with X-Men, in part because of all the Hellfire Gala stuff and all the hype. Not because the hype has worked, because it's not for me. Uh-huh. But because the hype seemed weirdly desperate to me. And like uh-huh. the idea of it's a social event that's going to have big uh, repercussions and, and for the Marvel Universe, also starring Ira Glass and Eminem, like seemed so nuts <laughs> that I was like, what the fuck are the X-Men books doing now anyway? And right. the answer honestly is they're doing what the X-Men books always do, but with a sort of an extra layer of the like the civil rights metaphor of X Men utterly breaking down. Mm. Like, do, so do you know the uh, spoilers for for this week's X Men comics? I guess, but do you know what happens in Planet Side to X Men this week? Um, I would say there's a thing that I heard or maybe gleaned, and I'm not sure that it's correct. Should I just say it, and you can confirm it, you, and yeah, then we you can, can flag it, yeah. it as spoilers? They're t- going to terraform Mars. Is oh, that... no, they have terraformers. Oh, they, they terraform have terraformers. They terraform Mars without telling anyone. 
Oh, okay. And they terraform Mars with like five of them. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that's the point where like I genuinely think the civil rights metaphor for X Men utterly breaks down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you can't be like people are just bigoted against mutants. How could you fear or hate the people who let five of them can terraform an entire planet? And it's like, well, I don't, it might be relatively sensible. <laughs> Especially when half of them belong to an organization that has evil in the name. <laughs> you know, like, I get I get the point. I get the, the, like, you know, this is an important metaphor, really, of it. But it's also kind of fucking dumb. When, you know, here's our guy. He's got a black hole for a head. Here's a guy who's sworn to kill the Hello, what happened? All of a sudden, my uh, my USB headset just fell out. I was in the <laughs> process of like maneuvering my iPad around, and then all of a sudden, it was like, blurp. Uh, anyway, so... What we heard was all of a sudden, you sounded far away, and you went, shit, you guys, hold up. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Professional Podcaster, eh? Okay. Uh, sorry, so last I heard was black hole for a head, and then... Yeah, but, but like, it, it always, like, you. I feel that you... You, I feel. I honestly feel that the civil rights metaphor does break down when, like, you know, there are mutants who are, you know, genuinely obscenely powerful who have also sworn to kill all the humans. Like, that's not bigoted to be afraid of those people. That's sensible. Well, uh, but wouldn't one say that part of the problem with bigotry is taking the standards, you know, basically judging everyone as if they're all exactly the same in a uniform standard. Like the, the part of the problem is, is that how Beak is treated in the Marvel universe is sort of exactly the same as if he was Magneto with Magneto's powers. Isn't that kind of bigotry? I'm just going to say yes. I mean, a lot. No, no, I know. I I agree with you, but I also think that I don't know. I just feel that when you have characters and like five people can terraform an entire planet and do so without telling anyone, right. and then present it as you're welcome. Mm-hmm. Like there is, and especially in the current Hickman era, where like for some reason all the mutants are on board with everything any mutant does. Right. Like. It, it it does feel like there's the you can't there's no analogy there. You've broken the analogy. Well, right, but I think maybe that's uh, so. I guess that's my thing. Is is like I, 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 I haven't. That's not true. Where the analogy doesn't break down is if you come to it from a problematic place for me. Mm-hmm. Right, you come from it from the bigoted place. Mm-hmm. We're in like the oppressed group do have a hive mind and mm-hmm. are acting against your interests. That's mm-hmm. the only way that the analogy like sustains for me, mm. you know, and so it feels it feels like it breaks the civil. And don't get me wrong, X Men was not made as a civil rights analogy. The civil rights analogy was was projected onto afterwards. I get. That. Yes, you're right. But I feel that for something that has been so central to the franchise's identity for at least a few decades, mm-hmm. where they are now has has utterly like demolished it or unless you come from it from a bigoted point of view um okay my thing is is and it's because i don't read hickman's stuff i haven't read like 
really haven't read anything past Hox Pox, is 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 that just in part because he they're not I mean, is he trying to have it both ways and they are trying to pull you know, civil rights metaphors at the same time that they're doing this? Or is he trying to like bring it beyond that? Because I kind of feel like part of the success or interest in Hickman's X-Men is watching the X-Men editorial mm-hmm. office slowly wall themselves into a corner of pushing the civil rights metaphor, which didn't quite work, and the the they're hunted and hounded and now they've got like a tiny sanctuary but they barely have anyone and now they've got more people but now there's a thing like you know what i mean like or is i get the sense of like if hickman's not interested in it i mean part of the part of what's interesting to me in a meta way is, is the way in which hickman seems to be breaking the x-men by taking them into areas that seem depending on how you look at it really fucking interesting but definitely much different and kind of in a way that is sort of how are those toys going to go back into the toy box you know after um and are you asking like are they doing this intentionally well i i guess what i'm saying is is there's there's an extent to which um being frustrated about the idea of the civil rights metaphor really being kind of demolished is like i just i'm not sure if that's i'm not sure if that's a bad idea i'm not sure if you're saying like they're trying to do that but they're still trying to get the i i I think they're trying to do it i think it's intentional Mm -hmm. uh but i also am not sure what they're replacing it with and i'm troubled i i mean i i think i've said this before i'm troubled by the the current status quo anyway mm-hmm. um and then sort of the group think aspect of it but again mm-hmm. I, that's intentional it's just very much not to my taste mm-hmm. you know and so i yeah i don't think i have anything to replace it with i guess is what i'm saying i i i, I feel that they're, they're doing this and they don't have anything to replace it with mm-hmm. um and it like it was always an imperfect analogy mm-hmm. but i also feel that I, I was going to say i don't know how they go back to it but then again you know Look at what they're doing with Hulk after Al Ewing leaves. Like, apparently, you can just ignore shit. Right. You know. So, uh, Chloe, what have you been reading? Like, be more entertaining than me. Oh, we've already been over this. I ended up reading like through the majority of of John Smith's uh, writing history. Firekind, Revere. Revere was such a weird book that's one that I hadn't read before and I'm still not entirely clear about what it it was that I read but um I mean like every other comic I think that John Smith has written aside from maybe a couple like like uh uh Cradle Grave the uh it's not it's who who fucking cares what it's about it's just beautiful and not even visually, although like all of the artists that John Smith works with are far and beyond what you'd what you'd expect um, from the chaos that you get with his stories. But it's just it's it's so lyrical. Everything is everything is poetry, and um, Firekind has one of the most 
astonishingly beautiful opening pages to a comic that I've ever seen in my entire life. And I wish I was smart enough to remember it off the top of my head. But he, there's just such a pacing to Smith's writing that just blew me away for a good week or two while I read everything over in preparation for a big old piece about, uh, I mean, how, how John Smith writes queer in both senses of the word. You know, he writes it in the sense that a lot of people know it as as being, uh, well, what a lot of people think of as derogatory now, uh, being weird, strange, or other, and how he tackles otherness in a way that is beautiful and something to be revered, ironically. Um, mm-hmm. But also queerness in that everything's real fucking gay. Like, mm-hmm. there's, just, there's a lot of... of uh, really interesting sex, like like shows of sexuality in, in his books, and especially coming from a gay writer during that time period. Oh, it's just wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's all I've been tackling. And that, aside from that, revisiting ABC Warriors from uh, 2000 AD. Because uh, wow. I, I get, well, I get to talk to Simon Bisley this week. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's going to be so much fun. But... Uh, so I've been kind of reading up on that for fun and because that was like the first really big book that he got to tackle and honestly trying to find and revisit some of the old uh, Howard Cruz gay comics mm. from the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. By which means the title, Gay, gay comics. comics with an X, okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah he was definitely a, a comics IX person, yeah. No, no, but that was that was what his comic was called. He had an anthology that he edited called Gay Comics. Yeah. Gay Comics, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I right. I, I, sorry. I am aware. I'm just also aware that there was sort of when you said with an X in it for those people who were kind of trying to put that into gay, into gay. I was like, okay, it's in the comics part is the X part, and also there was a. There's that whole 70s Art Spiegelman thing where, like, coming out of the undergrounds, where a lot of people were spelling it comics, and in part because of the... They were trying to move away from... Keep the term, but change the spelling, and and it was literally a thing. I'm sorry if that sounds like I'm just telling you what you already know so. <laughs> well that's like uh that's like a lot of the the uh lesbian comics that came out of the 70s and their spelling of women which is w-i-m-m-e-n yeah right which i was just like oh my god it just doesn't get any better than that <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely well one of the things i thought was really funny is again comics with the x is i think at one point again i feel like this was art spiegelman maybe someone else was talking about how it's short for like co-mixture of words and pictures and it was oh, kind of like oh no. yeah <laughs> they're going that's too much even for me got to rein that in a little bit buddy here come on come on yeah exactly exactly um yeah so well you know i have to say i've never read uh stuck rubber baby rubber baby yeah yeah have have either of you guys read it i read it a long time ago. ago like when i say a long time ago i was living in san francisco so like that's more than a decade Okay. Because I got out of Green Apple. Ah, um, right. Mm-hmm. I remember liking it. I remember 
being surprised at how cartoony it was. Mm-hmm. For better way of that was it. one of the selling points for me. I thought it was really interesting because it was so cartoony. But I remembered like the hype about it when it came out. Because it came out originally in the 90s, right, Jack? Yeah, it did. 95? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember it being like, you know, this is the series, like, this is this is the, the truth. And then when I finally got around to reading it, I was like, this is much more cartoony than I, than I expected. Mm-hmm. I liked it, though. I did like it. Were yeah, it, it, it's one of those things where I've never read it, and I always feel kind of... Uh, I always feel bad. Feel always feel a little guilty about it because you. I, it's so funny. I was going to say like you guys remember comic scene, and I don't know if either of you do. And the I do ironic... remember comic scene. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I sort of half figured you would, and of course I was sure that I was going to say that, and Chloe would be like, "Remember it, Jeff? I just wrote a piece yesterday where I summarized <laughs> up all my favorite articles." Anyway, they had regular uh they had some regular columnists in that magazine and howard cruz was one of them i don't remember what his specific topic was but he was he was a really entertaining interesting thoughtful writer so i was always like ah yeah i've got to pick up stuck rubber baby out of print isn't it um i think so yeah i mean yes that makes sense because i feel like i'm not really sure it's ever I mean, it's had multiple publishers, right? Yes, I want to, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I hope that it comes back in. Um, in fact, it's ironic because we're going to be talking about. Um, I think the the book that we're going to be discussing tonight is coming out in a new edition, right? Have you guys heard that? Yeah, it's coming out. Yes. Uh, Dark Horse is bringing it out in October. Yeah. Yeah, under Burger Books, so that'll hey, uh, be. Wait, we should actually talk about what that book is, because otherwise we've just—it sounds like we've just said Stuck Rubber Baby's coming out in October. It's not yeah. Enigma, which is the comic we're going to talk about in a second, is coming out in October. Yes, exactly. I was gonna, I was gonna circle back to that, Graham. You could have, you could have just jumped the gun. You I'm jumped sorry, the gun, I'm man. Boy, sorry. talk about building up drama. And Graham's like, okay, everyone, just so you know. Just so you know, he's been dead the whole time. Um, okay, so, well, I have been reading a variety of things over the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, there was a weird situation where Wasteland has been reprinted on DC Universe for reasons completely that I can't figure out. Like, they skipped issue six, unless they've re-added it since. But they have one through five, and then seven through nine and people were like why and i don't think anyone's bothered to actually answer them which is kind of frustrating but uh i wonder what's in issue six you know i mean exactly there's got to be something and the thing that's really funny is i think it's issue eight has a series as a story which is basically uh del close being psychoanalyzed by and having an extended saber fight with L. Ron Hubbard, you know? And so part of me was like, geez, did did DC just miss, pick, you know, get the wrong issue censored? You know what I mean? Because I would think if any, anything that, that DC would be uptight about, it would be about, you know, getting the Scientologists on their ass. But apparently not. So... I do wonder what's happening in issue six. And of course, some people were like, oh yeah, well, six was controversial because it was misprinted. And I'm like, I don't think that has anything to do with why this thing wouldn't be collected. Oh but... man, Jeff, 
Yes. I just found out what the misprint was, though. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know what the misprint with issue six? Please. It was issue five. The interior <laughs> of issue six was issue five again. Oh, oh, God. Oh, okay. I thought it was just the cover. Holy shit. Okay. Wow. Wow. And so then they republished issue. Oh, wait. So is that it? There afterwards with a blank cover. Right. So, but that's what I'm saying is, is the blank cover does have issue six inside. There was an actual issue six, right? But I wonder if there's going to be something where they will, like issue six will come out after the fact. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess it would make sense to me if there was never an issue six to 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 Wasteland that they just reprinted issue that that issue six was a reprint of five and then seven was what six was supposed to be and yeah, so on I and so know. on. But I don't think so. And again, I knew about the misprinting. For some reason, I thought it was just they slapped the cover from five on there and then did a recall. I didn't realize it was the the innards as well. No, no, it so. was just the, like, there was a cover for issue six that said issue six and had new artwork. And yeah. then inside was just issue five again. Wow, that's and a then major they had fuck issue up-ery. A blank cover with the real issue six innards. Yes, yes. Well, for whatever reason, that appears to have stymied DC or something because they've not reprinted issue six, which is kind of weird, especially considering they're printing things like The Joker Presents a Puzzle Box, issue one. Which I guess the puzzle is why am I reading this? Because I got to admit, it's got me stymied. Um, it's, it's the puzzle that like it's very generic. I mean, kind of. I I think maybe the puzzle is is like why is Matthew Rosenberg still getting work? I mean, is that actually is that who's writing it? I think yes, that's it is. right. Yeah. So I mean, it was it was really. I mean. I think if you're going to be putting out a Joker comic with a gimmick and it's, you know, you can't even really bring it up to the level of your Batman video game licensing tie-in comic. Um, but admittedly, that maybe that's just me. I'm strangely in the in the tank for Batman Fortnite Zero Point. It's been <laughs> it's been surprisingly entertaining. I I don't know don't know how to to say it in any other way but to say it. Um, Following up on my uh, iffy reading taste, I actually quite enjoyed the first three issues of the Batman and Scooby-Doo Mysteries, which all three issues dropped at three of the 12 12 issues because it's a 12-issue limited series. I'm not telling Graham anything that he doesn't know unless he forgot the fact that he wrote an article about this at Hollywood. Oh, no, yeah, I I, I do know exactly what you're talking about. I think they forgot to put it up, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, I kind of think so, too. But um, those those were fun. I actually read Geiger issues two and three because I, I was like, oh, shit, they I, they just keep they putting them out. Did they? Oh, yeah. man. There was, a, there was a press release. Jeff, I really do want to get to your name for too long, but I have to ask, is it as good as you wanted it to be? Because you were surprisingly in the tank for issue one. Yeah, I was. Well, I mean, surprisingly in the tank in the sense of I was like, yeah, this could be really fun. Because I, you yeah. know, me, I was like, there's a lot of Kirby that's in, in the this. Because that was not a good comic. But yes, does does it live up to your dreams? No, no, it doesn't. I mean, it, it would. It's not the Kirby that you're hoping for. No, no. Remember, re- you were like, I think there's some Kirby, and I was like, I think you're high. And then we read the solicit, and both of us had to admit it was very Kirby. Yeah, exactly. So he's he's doing some stuff that pitches it a lot 
like I mean I I I first off I have to say that honestly I didn't mind issues 2 and 3 I thought they were okay um uh but it is in terms of to the extent that there is a Kirby influence I would say that it's more just kind of a it 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 doesn't it doesn't play it's out not much. There. I think it's what you're saying. It, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Not not in any demonstrable way that we can look at. Maybe that will change as time goes on. But no, it's basically kind of an interesting Jeff Johns, Gary Frank comic. Um, and I think that it's actually some better Johns than we have seen in a while. Because I think even though it is, he's still continuing in his. Um, quest to be cringe i guess and i think he's he's doing admirably in that sense of like <laughs> oh everything's very on the nose Good. yeah okay. no hold on i have been biting my tongue <laughs> oh here we go this is great been biting your tongue but also doing interpretive dance towards the microphone jeff <laughs> really oh man okay, i'm really missing out i'm sorry saying any jeff johns comic is Kirby influenced enough to even call it Kirby influenced is the most unholy bait and switch I have ever heard in my life. <laughs> well, okay, so here's the thing: like, I, you know, you've got you've got Geiger, you've got a post-apocalyptic America, you've got a a map of the Las Vegas Strip that it, where each of the casinos have turned into kind of their own kingdoms and each you know and each kingdom is influenced by the flavor of the theme casino that it was running it like i'm like that's 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 pretty close to the commanding map of great america as graham pointed out like hearing about the strange secret of dr molotov we're like okay that also so there's like little weird goofinesses in Geiger, the what nuts, what nuts, what you're missing, and sadly, it's a joy that only I can appreciate. Is Chloe's looking so suspiciously at a microphone right now <laughs> that that it, it's actually impossible to describe? It's <laughs> if the microphone had said something like that has offended her so much, and she is getting ready to read it, and she in her brain she's just like, nah, no, no. Uh. Uh, yeah, Jeff. I... I'm so tired, Jeff. I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> okay, look, this is the weird thing. I'm not particularly invested in it. It was, they are, they are dumb comics. If you don't like Jeff Johns' shit, you will not like Jeff Johns' shit. It is okay, not. It's not yeah. that it's dumb comics, though. Uh-huh, dumb wait. Comics, dumb comics are my jam. We went over this on the last episode. Dumb That's what I'm saying. Yes. The, the ultimate, the beauty, right. the Mount Olympus of good in my mind. Right. And it's less about, it's like, not not only does Jeff Johns not know how to have an original idea, he couldn't original idea, an idea out of a wet paper bag. Mm-hmm. But 
it's also just it's actually I have to interrupt you because the great thing about Jeff Johns is he would be like I don't know what about what plastic bag what about what leather bag what if there's like a continuity of bags that stretch throughout history and wet paper bag is only the original member Anyway, sorry. She I don't mean to. She's threatening to throw herself out of a window. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea that even I'm, I'm, mock defenses of Jeff Johns infuriate Chloe. I, this is kind of great. The hmm? second and third issue are significantly better than the first. That's not a dumb comic. That's a bad comic, and yes. there's a difference. It's like a, it's, it's it not can't dumb. Be a fine it's not fine. Okay, keep going, please. Keep going with your opinions. Tell me. So tell me. <laughs> Dumb, dumb comic as opposed to to you know bad comic. Like what? What's the? There's no joie de vivre. I mean, you can have dumb comics that are bad comics. You can have bad comics that are dumb comics, but they're not the same thing. Yes, I agree. I think a dumb comic has to have a level of ridiculousness that is entertaining, and I don't think Geiger did at least in that first issue. Mm-hmm. I think it. I think it was, in terms of its stupidity. It was mm-hmm. really mundane and really unfun, and mm-hmm. so I re- like I really would reject the idea that it's that, a dumb comic because dumb for me suggests it's fun. That's kind of that's that's basically the same argument that I have. Like you can have a dumb comic and it will have a redeeming value. It'll be something that makes it fun, or that it will have a a, a character who's exceptionally likable, or a really interesting world, or something original behind it. Um, that makes it something uniquely stupid. And that's just silly and great. But when you have uh, the difference between like a bad comic that is dumb is that it's not anything particularly original. It's just, it's another kind of boilerplate story set with a different sort of whisper of an atmosphere. And that's not, that's what I got from the first Geiger, but a pit, there's a shitload of people that disagree with me. Oh, yeah, no, no, it, it, it's all really up. But like for me, Bob Haney is dumb comics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. And Geiger is not, because Geiger is, is, and somewhere like Jeff Johns and Geiger friends are like, you're missing the, the core. But like, there's no joy in that comic. It's taking itself really, really seriously. Even, yeah, no, I, no, I, no, I no, no, no. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe the second or third issue. Like loosens up again. Like Doctor Molotov was a great idea, and at least in the in the the solicit, I mm-hmm. was like, okay, maybe I'm wrong. But right. it, based on that first issue, I did not see that at all. So again, right. you've read further. You're probably right, but I well, like I, I I you know aggressively disagree with you in terms of the first issue. Right, right. No, I get that, and and. And this is what I am saying is is that issues two and three do not move into anything like the sort of realm of because and this is this is one of the things that can be difficult to parse with Johns, but there are times when his dourness moves into kind of a kind of a realm of giddy stupidity like. For example, Darkest Night, which is simultaneously um, super serious and absolutely ridiculous. ridiculous. Right? That's a dumb comic. Yeah. I'm not saying that Jeff Jones can't write dumb comics. I'm saying that Geiger is not a dumb comic. Well, okay. First off, and as you point out, Geiger number one is 
does not qualify for you. And I, I totally get that. Issues two and three, I think you would sit down and read them and basically walking away, double down on that feeling. Like you're like, these are bad comics. These are not interesting to me. These are not... Um, and my take, and this is, might just be um, splitting hairs or trying to parse something a little too finely, is it's a little too soon for me to tell if there is a lot of fun, there's anything that's actually fun in Geiger or fun that can be communicated because I feel, if nothing else, after, say, Doomsday Clock, but I think just generally, Jeff Johns and Gary Frank present everything in a way that you can all but audibly hear it's like a fun Roomba, you know what I mean? You can see the fun being <laughs> removed I, from I the pages. A Roomba that sucks up fun, as yes, a Roomba that is fun. Right? I know, which would be awesome. Exactly, yeah. It's it's you can feel there that there is a certain airlessness on the page that that feels as if all the fun has just been yeah, removed. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I will say this: I'm going to read the collection when it appears on Hoopla. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna and read I, it so that I can find out if Johnson's Apocalypse Universe is racist as well. <laughs> you know, it. What I think is interesting is is that again, how do I put it? Johns Johns is Mister like, oh no, I'm not racist. Look, you know, here's oh, Geiger no. saving. Yeah. John is Mr. I'm not racist, I'm Lebanese-American. I've always asked to be called Lebanese-American, that's what my publicist said. Also, I know some black people. Right. In fact, I didn't he, isn't he like, I'm married to a Lithuanian, or isn't isn't there, I, didn't he break out his spouse? I can't be racist, I'm married to a black woman? Was that yes, not there what we go. publicist said? For yeah, 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 I think that, that was it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. So, anyway, so, again, there's there's things of, like, oh, Geiger is saving you know, uh, uh, two black kids on the run, you know, from the group of evil atomic knights uh, from Las Vegas, you know? I forgot the atomic knights are in it. I, I literally forgot that it was a reboot of atomic knights. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just, it, believe me, it's just one element. So, um, so yeah, no, I think, I think it's, uh, yeah, I don't, A, I don't think either of you would like it. B, I'm not necessarily sure that I like it. But C, in some ways, it does remind me, uh, and it's weird that this was going to be the through line for the episode, it reminds me in some way of Todd McFarlane's Spawn, in that you can sit there and you're kind of like, oh, I can see how this would be fun. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Geiger at his core, no pun intended, is a a dude who literally has two um like nuclear damping rods stuck into his back and when he pulls them out to start beating on people like they're you know batons um he he begins to charge up and go nuclear um Yeah, so I mean again there's kind of that weird oh no if it was done in a um, 
very uh, upfront way, if it was being done in a blatantly hyper, hyperbolic, hyperbolic, um, super enthusiastic, over-the-top way, you know, like... I'm thinking of people like like Kirby would do it, but also people who have been influenced by Kirby, like Eric Larson or Tom Scioli, or there's a whole bunch of people for whom it would it would be a fun ride. And you can, I and that is the weird thing. I think that's you're like I like the version of this comic that I'm imagining someone else did. Well, no, no, but I mean, that, that's hey, kind of, that's sounds, valid. No, but that sounds yeah, that sounds like what you're saying. I don't well, mean that as a gotcha. I don't mean that right. as like a ha ha ha. I mean yeah. that's actually what it sounds like you're saying. Yes, like there's a better version of this comic that someone else could do. Well, he or I. I guess what I would say a version that I would enjoy more, and that you and I and Chloe would be fast to call better. Some people may think that this is quote unquote better, and again, there's something that's very weird. Part of the thing that's weird about Jeff Johns, and I think is part of why the reckoning has come for him in some ways, or tried to, uh, is that there's something where Jeff Johns has kind of got that like weird sort of like, oh, but this is a fun comic. Like, look, like you know, it's got decapitations and 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 people being disemboweled, and also it's got a dog that's, you know, like, it's got the return of Streaky the Supercat. You know what I mean? Like, there's something weirdly off about what Jeff Johns considers a good time that is a little distressing to contemplate, and I do feel that that's kind of there in Geiger. Like, on the one hand, here's a radioactive superhero running around with a cloak and glowing eyes that when he whips out his little radiation rods in his back, he begins to power up and, and you know, do all sorts of super cool shit. And part of me is like, oh, that's kind of... Like, I get it. Like, that's kind of cool. Sort of in that kids love chains kind of way. Like, but at the same time, it is so mired. Sort of in the same way that Todd McFarlane's stuff, for me, is so relentlessly mired in uh, the most, the the dullest form of world building conceivable. Um, You know, Johns really does seem to think, like, part of what makes it great is people suffering and being tortured like it's a very which is kind of a he's it geiger feels very games of throny so so far and that is not necessarily meant as a compliment and honestly i feel like that is just that's like i don't know you know i kind of feel like i'm sort of like using an algebra metaphor to two labrador retrievers because i don't neither of you have watched game of thrones What's that? I want to say homework. Okay. I want you to read John's recent Shazam series. Oh. Why? Why? Because I think it really plays into what you're saying. Mm, okay. Interesting. I, I think it plays into the... John's has this very particular idea of what fun is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I'd really, really genuinely be curious what you'd make of it. Okay. I will, and I'll come back to that. And you know what? I think that is a segue. We need to move on to this episode's homework, right? Like we should yes, probably yes. talk about. Okay, so this episode's homework, uh, mm-hmm. as said by Professor Lester. <laughs> uh, 
was that we should all reread the 1993, I think? Yes. 1993 miniseries Enigma by Milligan and Duncan Figueredo, which... And Sherilyn Van Valkenburg. And Sherilyn Van Valkenburg, whose colors are fucking spectacular. Um, Yes. Which I think everyone on this podcast agrees is, is just one of the... A, an amazingly good superhero comic, an amazingly good comic in general. Yeah. But also a sort of a forgotten core text of queer comics mm-hmm. in the mainstream. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair to say. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of the first vertical books. It is, as we said before, being reissued by Dark Horse in October. Um, it is it is a superhero comic and it isn't. It's Milligan again. It's Milligan in the early nineties, so it's it's very much sort of what is reality. Mm, reality is something that is existential and strange and contradictory, and it's all a reflection of our inner struggle. But it's really a story about Michael Smith coming out and learning learning that he's not the person he thought he was, and and that that's okay. Mm-hmm. For another way of putting it, um, and the lens through which he. He comes out the lens through which he realizes that he's not the person he thought he was is the superhero he read as a kid, um, the Enigma, who who becomes real for for reasons that are honestly almost beside the point. <laughs> because again, it's a, it's a Milligan comic. Um, I'm I'm going to shut up because I'm just giving a plot synopsis. But I want to say that because I I feel that there are people who completely know this comic and people who have no idea what it is. Yes, it feels like everyone who read it, like, holds it up as like, well, this is just amazing, and I can't believe more people don't, you know, put this in with the the greats of of the spe- the greats of the nineties, definitely. But honestly, the greats of of you know the the latter part of the twentieth century in terms of comics. Yeah, um, and then there are people who literally have no idea what it is because it was it collected before. Oh, it was it mm-hmm. DC collected it? Oh, and in fact, let me jump in, because I think it it may have actually been issued from DC twice. But the first time, um, some people of a certain age, I I assume Chloe qualifies, but I don't know if that's the case. There was a thing called Tower Records, and uh, Tower Records also had a Tower Outlet store, which shit that wouldn't sell from Tower Records ended up being marked down for stupid cheap prices. And or things that they, because Tower Records was also like renting movies, um, you know, you could buy re- used video cassette VHS movies for super cheap or things that have been returned. Anyway, one of the best comic purchasing days of my life was coming across a stack of 10 copies of the of the Enigma trade paperback for 89 cents a pop. And so oh, wow. I just... Yeah, so I just I just Wild. bought them all. I bought yeah. them all. Yeah, and then and then and then read it, loved it, and then gave copies to to everyone over the course of the next couple of years. So, so was that the first time you read it? It was. It was the first time that I had so read it. So when was that? Because I I read it when it came out initially. Like I got it serialized. Right, and I did not. But I'm trying to think when that when that would have been would have been somewhere in a real slippery like 94 to 97 maybe sure. so, so let's, let's probably like 
Well, it's got to be issued and then get to the the remainder stage. So I'd say ninety five, ninety six. Yeah, yeah, I think right? that's probably right. And so then when did you read it first? Oh gosh, not until I was much older. I was probably like, I don't know. I really don't know. Fifteen, sixteen, yeah, give or take. Okay, somewhere around okay. there. Um, but it's it's because it was like I'm I'm not exaggerating. I'm saying like it was a a, a core text for me as a comic. Mm-hmm. And I say that as I say that not as a queer person at all, but mm-hmm. like even beyond the 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 queerness of the story, it's just an astonishingly good comic. Yeah, like, Milligan is on top of his game, and mm-hmm. this is coming from a period when he was on top of his game everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like he was doing Shade the Changing Man at the same time. Yes, with Chris Lackle, and that comic is again also just extraordinary. Um, you know, he did Face just after this, which again is an amazingly good comic. But Enigma is is Milligan just everything he's doing in that comic is deliberate and works. Which again, even with Milligan on top of his game, is not always the case. Um, and for Grado, his his line work in that comic is staggering. Yeah, it's exquisite <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and absolutely and evolves in a way that fits the character, fits Michael's evolution. But also, you can see him literally grow as an artist with each issue. Like he's incredibly scratchy and and chaotic in the first issue, and you see him build in confidence, so that by the time you get to like issue seven and issue eight, when the emotional story is is really, you know, at, at such a bold place, he is he's faultless in terms of what he's putting on the page. And like Chloe said, Sherilyn Van Valkenburg's colors Ugh. are just some of the best comics coloring ever. You know the, the she does a, a a sky in the end of issue seven I think or six. Yeah. Oh God, yeah, yeah. right, which is um, astonishing. And it's yeah. it's just it 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 if it doesn't literally stop your tracks, her colors in particular, if they don't stop your tracks, I do wonder if you've gone blind. You know because her her it's 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 genuinely astonishing. It's it's one of those works where you look at it and it it almost seems impossible to believe that it it wasn't colored by the artist. You know what I mean? Because the color work is such a, um, it just seems so deeply organically intertwined with the art, Um, you know, to, to, to carry that, that it seems impossible to me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how closely, the two were working at the time, but it's, it is such a perfect joining of um, two artistic to to the artistic end is just totally nailed down. Um, Chloe, I'll mention it in the show notes, but you wrote a piece on this recently uh, on Neotext. And I'm curious, did you end up, did how on the timing, because I suggested to everyone that we do this when you were had announced that you wanted to come in for Pride, uh, for our Pride episode, and and I thought it would be a good reread. And then you did a neotext piece. Was that just happy coincidence, or did it come together as a result <laughs> of the request? Or I mean, kind it, it was kind of just a, a happy a happy coincidence because uh, I mean I came out as queer when I was uh, probably about fourteen. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I, I weirdly enough reread Enigma when we were going through comics a couple of months ago and looking through and like I got to the end of Enigma and I was like, 
huh. Well, I guess <laughs> I'm two different kinds of queer then, aren't I? And then of <laughs> course I come out to, to Graham and, and tell him, look, I think I'm, I think I'm gender fluid. I think I'm gender queer. And he goes right on, love you. And then like, right. Uh, and then like that just turned into like, oh, well I should definitely save this for pride month. And I should write about how like reading Enigma had basically uh, helped me step out of the closet twice. Well, and the thing that's really funny is because I remember Graham telling me like, hey, Chloe wants to come onto the podcast for Pride because as she put it, she's two scoops of queer. And I'm like, (laughs) and so I was like, oh, okay, that'll be great. I look forward to unpacking that. And then the fact that I was like, hey, let's do Enigma was really just me kind of being... Like I don't think there was any explicit tie there, so I'm I'm kind of fascinated that I, I think that part is a coincidence. You were accidentally clever, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, that's the story of my life. I have to say, uh, but okay, so it is kind of wild that that's tied together. So so Enigma, like you said, sort of uh, helped you come out twice. Yeah. Now, if you don't mind, then I think that it would be kind of interesting and useful and helpful for for us to kind of talk about that voyage i suppose if you don't mind which is to say at what point did you uh, well i mean there's such a such a big tapestry there to talk with talk about but let's talk about the second time what what were in a way your impressions of rereading Enigma for the second time, and also what about it made you feel like you're like, oh, I've got an I've got another step on this journey. I feel like I am being pulled into reckoning again. Um, is 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 that a fair assessment of what was happening to you on the reread? Or was it just kind of like, oh, this was so good. This brings back all sorts of great memories. Oh, hey, and by the way, you know? or I think I'll, I think I'll be extra queer now. Thanks yeah, exactly. Yep. Pete. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, no, I mean it's it's obvious like it's it's always been kind of a gradual thing, I think. But again, reading Enigma now that I'm I'm an adult, I'm older, I've had a lot more life experiences. So and and you know, I've been comfortable in uh my queerness for ages and ages and ages. I've never had a I've never really uh had to have a reckoning with that. Uh uh other than, you know, the ordinary growing up queer sort of stuff. But reading it again as an adult you pick up so much more and there's so much about the beginning of the comic in particular, like um, in Michael's life where it's, you know, on, on a surface level, everything's fine. Everything's ordinary, you know, functioning as in the way that many lives of adults and relation adult relationships work just kind of floating on. Uh, and, but there's something clearly not quite right there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's been it's been years and years and years where I've been like, well, I mean, I feel like a girl most of the time, but do I all the time? Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> eh, here and there, there's moments where it's just like, I mean, maybe I'm nothing. 
And I don't mean that in like a super sad, woe is me sort of way. Like literally, I just don't feel like anything. Right. Um, I don't feel particularly like femme or mask either way. Or Mm -hmm. I feel very heavily one or the other. And it's a shifting scale. Mm -hmm. And it's so much easier now reading something like Enigma where it is about uh, reckoning with that with that evolution of yourself mm-hmm. and being able to go uh, you know what everything could be really good if I just decide to try and there mm-hmm. is nothing wrong with saying it's time for me to try and be this new version of myself that mm-hmm. I think I need to be in order to be fully happy and especially at the at the end of the comic where and I understand that this is one of the more problematic uh, arguments that a lot of people have made, that uh, Enigma, the main superhero of the story, um, changes Michael and makes him gay. It's, mm-hmm. it's revealed, even though we never really see when that happens. Um, it's Enigma giving Michael the option of, like, you can go back to being straight if you want to. And Michael choosing to stay gay even though he has clearly been gay the whole time mm-hmm. and but i it's it, there was something about that too in particular it's like well you know what maybe this is something that i need to try and if it doesn't work out it's nothing permanent i can say okay this is not who i need to be right now or not who i want to be mm-hmm. i can say no that that choice is not something permanent and i get to choose who i want to be at any time so, yeah, Enigma <laughs> and rereading Enigma was just sort of a, oh, this means something entirely new now. Uh-huh. It's something way bigger. And, you know, as much as you you are born who you are and you evolve into who you were meant to be, there is also that, like, this is very scary and it might not be the time for me to choose to reveal this to the this part of myself to the world. Um uh-huh. And I think Enigma does a really, really great job of hammering that in, making it very clear that you are who you are from the get-go, but it's up to you whether you want to choose to be that fully all the time or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, uh, uh, I, that's, that, that helps um, me uh, kind of, uh, that sheds a lot of light on, on things, so thank you. I find that what struck me reading Enigma this time around um, was, on on the one hand, I thought some of the pacing issues were off, which is not not really the emotional context of of what I'm aiming for. But I also felt that there is a lot of, and maybe this was just the tenor of the times, but there's a lot of qualifiers about, about homosexuality as the story sort of gets kind of laid down and and that idea of oh as you said like michael smith seems pretty clearly gay from the get-go but the story very explicitly says the the enigma made him gay and and in fact and offers to make him straight and in fact that little moment in and of itself is the point at which the um unshown the the possibility of a positive uh ending which we're not really shown um might happen 
You know what I mean? Um, there, I guess there's a lot of what I've, what I found interesting about Enigma reading it in 2021, and especially, I guess I should say, reading it, you know, on the California West Coast outside of San Francisco after having lived there for 30 or 40 years, is that it is very, um, uh, like the homophobia of the 90s is so, is either so baked in or Milligan is trying to tiptoe around that a little bit that I feel like there's a certain element of oh homosexuality I mean you know it's scary and it's freaky and if anyone you know if anyone says that you're gay you're absolutely right to be horrified and try and slug someone but also what if it's wonderful you know what I mean and there's sort of uh I feel that are, that are, are you yes? suggesting that it's sort of exoticizing the other I guess what I'm saying is is that one of the things that struck me is is that when I finished Enigma this time around, I was like, oh man, I was the guy who suggested that we read this for our Pride discussion, and, you know, what if this was a gay graphic novel completely created by straight people? Like, which... I don't know. Like I gotta say, yeah, apparently we, we've actually we've actually talked about this a bit after uh, after Chloe reread it. Like I have no idea if Milligan's queer or not. Yeah. Like I I, I I'm you know they've never talked about it. They've never discussed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as I know, for Grado straight, uh, Art Young, I believe the editor is gay. Mm. Um, but but at the same time, part of me is like I don't. I don't necessarily think that matters. I mean, I kind of see no, what you're saying, I, but also I think that the emotional truth of the story rings true no matter what. Uh, I, yeah. I, I think it, I think it exists in all of its time, right? It is a right. product of its time. I don't think today you could write a story where Michael does like punch Titus, right? Right. I, mm-hmm. I also don't think you can necessarily get away with Titus's character. No, absolutely today. not. No, mm-hmm. but it's it's a product. It's a product of the time and. Particularly in the in the early '90s, that was already a really tumultuous period in queer history, um, where uh, nobody nobody wanted to deal with with queers. Everybody was uh, there was in the, at the height of the AIDS epidemic, and nobody wanted to to hear about anything good basically happening when it came to queer romance, and. Stories, I think, like Enigma, whether they were written by somebody queer or not, was at least a step in the right direction of here is this comic from a mainstream publisher that ends with what we can only assume is a really vibrantly joyful queer ending. Mm-hmm. And I think that just having Michael go through the journey, even the, over just the course of a mini series, um, whether or not you choose to believe that the enigma made him gay. I, I choose to read it as, as the enigma as a stand in for uh, Michael finding a safe space to come out um, mm-hmm. and wanting to believe that he made him gay. We don't even know if that's true. I mean, you can read it. You can, you as the reader can choose to look at it as maybe the enigma knows how hurtful and scary coming out is for someone like Michael so maybe he tells him, I've made you gay. You have the choice to turn it back. And 
knowing full well Michael's going to say no because he's a gay man and always has been. But that safety net is extraordinarily important. And and having someone that understands you enough to give you that safety to come out is such a, a poignant moment in the story. And mm-hmm. I think it's all in how you choose to interpret it, reading it now. And mm-hmm. especially given the times, there's so much stuff from from uh, queer writing and queer culture that we can look back at from that period. And it would never fly now. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So right. much stuff would never fly now. We, and you, we mentioned earlier, Graham and I have both been watching Pose. And we're both like, we're both noticing all of the, just the shifts in language that people use um, mm-hmm. from the late eighties and early nineties in terms of various aspects of queer culture. You couldn't get away with that now, but mm-hmm. at the time that was so revolutionary and so incredibly empowering. Mm-hmm. So something, so, so especially as, uh, especially as somebody who is really, really big into, into queer history, being able to look back at, that point, particularly in comics, which has not always been the most forgiving outlet for for queer writers, for queer creators, queer yeah, queer representation in general. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. overall, um, I think it's it, it's it's incredibly moving. It, it brings me to tears every time, just because oh, what a what a brilliant way and bizarre way to tell a story mm-hmm. um, that's not it's not force feeding it to the audience. Mm-hmm. It's it's made into something poetic and beautiful, which is so much more meaningful, even if it's a little outdated, than half of the the things that you see now where a character is required to say, I'm gay. Sorry, North Star. And <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, that was never needed because it was something organic. And honestly, that's what being queer is about. You just kind of figure it out one day. And I think mm-hmm. that's. That's it. Sorry, I've been talking. No, no, no. I, I like. I, I'm glad you are. What's funny is where I disagree with my reading from both of you is I don't believe Enigma when he says that he made Michael gay. Yeah. Like I just don't believe him. Well, that's why I said like you as the reader can choose to read that however you want to. Okay. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. I mean to roll this back here because part of me is like, oh, uh, um. My understanding of the ending of Enigma is that that essentially he's like, I made you gay, I will, I can make you straight again. Michael's like, no, I, this is right for me. I'm happy this way. I'm glad that this happened. And then the the gist of things is is that there is a a essentially another monster, which is uh, Enigma's. Mother, mother mm-hmm. who is coming to destroy him, who has fed off of his psychic energy and is stronger than Enigma. And yes. at the end, Titus more or less posits the idea that there is a chance that he will survive, that that by, you know, uh, that Enigma has created the situation, the, the having Michael Smith love him and to be in love with someone else for Enigma, his hope is by essentially learning how to be caring and compassionate and loving that his mother will inherit 
that the same way that she's inheriting his his energy and thus spare him right and titus more or less says like and so as they're marching off to their final confrontation with this sort of semi-monstrous other um the other mother is is titus says like well you you might have a shot because you actually did something unselfishly um and i guess i suppose for me part of me is like the whole crux of the the lady or the tiger ending that milligan is set up it is kind of based on the idea that the chance to which there's a happy outcome is relegated on something that you two are saying is a lie or doesn't exist right like for me for me enigma didn't literally make michael gay enigma created circumstances in which michael can come out and then enigma offers to turn him to as as titus says de-homosexualize you so it's not that he's undoing something that he did he has set something in motion and then he offers to then he offers to make an actual change to michael right and it's the fact I, that he offers to make the change, which is not undoing an earlier action. Do you uh, see that? Yeah, I, I mean, I see what you're saying, but again, I think that is that would have to say that, that Enigma is explicitly lying at one point, right? Because you are saying, like, he literally does say, like, I... And, 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 and I mean, it doesn't necessarily... He basically says that he set events in motion that led to Michael coming out. Mm-hmm. It is not more explicit than that. And you never see the moment where, because it's supposed to be when Michael touches Enigma's mask is when he quote unquote becomes gay. And mm-hmm. we never, we never like, there's so many moments in the comic where that kind of happens or at least hints at happening. So you never really know when. Yeah. Right. But I think that Enigma is literally saying I will change your brain so that you are not gay. And it's that offer that mm-hmm. Enigma is making a self-sacrifice. Mm-hmm. That it's the thing that is going to bleed into the mother. Right? So it's not that he changed Michael in he like he changed Michael uh physically or emotionally to make him gay. It's that he created circumstances in which Michael can come out. Mm-hmm. Like he manipulated events. Mm. to allow Michael to come out, and then he offers to change Michael himself in mm-hmm. order to, and as Titus says, de-homosexualize him, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, Titus is saying that you have the, that you actually offered the self-sacrifice is the thing that's important. Does that make sense? Like, I don't think, I don't think Enigma, quote-unquote, made Michael gay. I think Enigma 100% created circumstances in which Michael can come out because he is in love with Michael. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that he is responsible for making Michael gay. But I do think that he is 100% offering to change their relationship. And it's a self-sacrifice that is right. Important. Well, okay. So, okay. But so my thing is, is literally looking at the page. Michael says, so you threw your mind into me. You changed me just as much as you changed Victoria, yes, 
and Roger Cliff, two of the other characters mm-hmm. that have been turned into supervillains. You mm-hmm. made me go queer, so I'd fall in love with you. And Enigma says, yes. And then Michael says, all that confusion, all that suffering, all those changes, you orchestrated it. And Enigma, I'm sorry, I didn't want to hurt you. It was wrong of me. I'll change you back. And Michael goes, what? And Enigma goes, I'll undo the changes. I'll make you as you were before. Yeah, and but so I, I again, it's the orchestrating circumstances yeah. pit that I am seeing. It's also um, it's not an uncommon trope to see in other types of queer storytelling as well. Especially, uh, I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head right now, of course. Um, but the and and honestly, you see it in real life too. The character, the the people, or the characters <coughs> that are very explicitly straight, they are super heterosexual. Right. And then there is one person who they find this connection with. Yes. Where they no, get to I agree. Their mm-hmm. most self. Yes. And then, like those circumstances around their relationship happen to the point where that's again you form that safety net where it's okay to come out and that mm-hmm. i don't know that's what i see more like the circumstances of him you know orchestrating events to make him come out or make him gay or whatever it is um i think it's more of a cuz he i it's complicated i feel like it, i feel like it's more a like, I orchestrated these things to happen so that you could come out, but I never made it so that you would absolutely fall in love with me. You did that on your own, and that was your choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. like, the the end, part of the reason why I say it's something joyful either way um, is also, and this is me being, like, very high school English teacher, why are the curtains blue? But uh, I... I chose to read like the mother at the end of the book as like the last monster the biggest one out of all of them and that's Mm -hmm. honestly how society treated gay people during Mm -hmm. that period this ultimate monster the life out of you Mm -hmm. and and the idea of especially titus saying like you have a chance for survival Mm -hmm. i think that that's incredibly moving and mm-hmm. something really beautiful to hold on to, especially for anybody who is just coming out publicly into the world and saying, this is who I am. It's like all of the things that are done to queer people of every color and flavor in the world since time has began have been absolutely horrific. And there are always people that are going to be that way. But you always have a chance for survival by being yourself. Right. Yeah, and I... I- that's fantastic. <laughs> right. Well, and and I think I let's put it this way. That sort of makes more sense to me um in terms of it being a uh hopeful and beautiful ending because I feel like the ending is sort of ambiguous and arguably grim. And so it's it's helpful for me to understand the context in which cuz on the one hand I think I sort of uh, uh tend to agree with you for the most part that it's like yes it is a it's an emotionally happy ending um but it is also sort of a weirdly ambiguous and uncertain ending and there's there's a lot of well i guess that's true (laughs) i guess that i guess that is the the part that that uh, doesn't really um that tends tends to throw me i suppose is kind of the the uncertainty factor 
um, which seems, which you're right, does seem to be a very, um, there, you know, a, a lot of queer fiction has the kind of strange, um, I don't know how to how to put it. It's it is it is a there there's there's a there's a base note of what I see as ambivalence, I suppose. Or I, I you think, know, and again to to sort of speak to the the worlds in which this is created, right? I don't think there is a happy ending version of Enigma. Mm-hmm. I think you have to have an ambiguity in there, mm-hmm. right? I, I, I there is no. There, there is no version. I mean, imagine there's a version where you see what happens with the, the mother and they defeat the mother. Right. right. That's unrealistic. No, but but even if that happens, you know, as as what's is it issue four? Like, and then what? Yeah, and then what? Right. Like, what happens right. then? Because Mike right. still come out. What 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 does Enigma do? Right. Right. What mm-hmm. you know? What happens to them then? Because they are in a society that is not going to accept either of them. Right. Right. There is no happy ending version of Enigma. There's just living through it, right? Which which seems to be which is which is very much about which is what Enigma is about. The part that I found incredibly, the part that I found in almost breathtakingly moving and, and beautiful, is the scene right before they kiss, where Michael's like, "So there is, there's no." reason for all of this and and enigma's like no and michael says oh thank god and kisses him and i thought that that was uh an absolutely wonderful moment and and one of the things in which uh the book's success really does come from that inversion of expectations in which so much of the breathless anxiety through the first half or first two thirds of the book you feel is about the idea that nothing has any meaning and that's terrifying. But what it really is, is that, of course, that is ultimately what is liberating, that life is about the living of it rather than the meaning of it. And yeah. mm-hmm. that, and that, and so, in a way, the and I think that this is also something that feels to me, you know, as a monogamous married hetero dude, uh, as as being so deeply queer and queer accepting, is the understanding to which people who are closeted have so much um they have to be in denial about who they are in order to fit into the meaning that is ascribed to life by their super religious family or their own super religious beliefs or the belief that that you know there's something inherently wrong in homosexuality because it serves no biological purpose or any of the other reasons in which in which there the homophobia or queerphobia has been internalized right so that is actually the moment where i was like oh you know maybe this is like more like you know maybe this isn't just an incredibly well constructed um piece by 
straight dudes. And I mean, this is kind of, which is, I think, really unfair and weird uh, to even have to qualify that other than just my anxiety of me being like, oh shit, I told us to read this book. And again, it's not like I turned around and was like, hey, let's read, you know, Stuck Rubber Baby, you know, um, which will give me an excuse to read it. I wanted to read something that I knew that we would all appreciate or had appreciated, you know, and, and, you know, but also had that moment of like, oh, fuck, what if I've totally, you know what I mean? Like, kind of <laughs> like, hey, everybody, like, you know, let's, uh, it's, it's Why pride and pride month, Jeff. Yeah, Chloe's here and we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna watch that movie with uh, Adam Sandler and the dude who are like fire guys who pretend to be gay on a cruise or is that a thing that i just like what the fuck are you talking about and can i watch it (laughs) (laughs) that may or may not be real because jeff does this all the time he either remembers something or invents the greatest thing you've never seen (laughs) no it's isn't it called like doing this podcast (laughs) for more than 10 years it happens all the time adam sandler fire movie okay while you're looking this up i want i want to get by (laughs) something more for a second just i now pronounce you chuck and larry what the fuck jeff (laughs) <laughs> did you guys like, not know about that no well i i knew about it i just didn't know what it was but anyway um the, you mentioned it at the end of issue six the start of issue seven i think is like the greatest thing mm-hmm. like by you know by leagues the opening of the two of them in bed after fucking oh my god that- yeah and just how like it's it's uh, you know I'm a sucker for like kind things right. There's something about the narration of that that is just so great because it's like yeah they did it they and did it, it wasn't perfect and that's okay. Oh my gosh, I I love that. I absolutely love that. I, I remember reading that way back when and I remember reading it now and it's it really is something that is just one of the most delightful and perfect and kind and human openings to comic ever. What. I, w- I wonder if that page is um, maybe you, maybe maybe a gentleman can answer this for me. Um, <laughs> I I've always wondered if that page was as affecting um, for straight folks as it is for people who have had like queer sexual relationships. Because here's the thing: the page itself is just so shockingly shockingly beautiful. It almost brings me to tears every time. But Again, while the narration is very kind, it's also extremely realistic in that, um, particularly, I think, with with queer sex, it's Mm -hmm. it's it's not perfect. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of jumbled. It's kind of messy. It doesn't go like exactly perfect and incredible like you assume that it's going to be, even though you are now this this fully formed version of yourself and you think it's going to be all beautiful and wonderful. And it's not, because especially for the most part, most most uh, sex is taught to us from a very heterosexual perspective. So mm-hmm. queer sex <laughs> ends up being this like really jumbled, really bizarre, really like beautiful, but confusing mm-hmm. thing that you have to figure out. So do pages like that I, I remember reading that and just being. I think it's. I think it's wonderful. I think it's beautiful. I was also weirdly relieved, if that makes sense. That mm. <laughs> it was like, oh, that's great. Okay, so people, people like other people don't really know what they're doing either. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, and maybe maybe this is just speaking it's to my, the same own, for my own anxieties. 
It's right. just right. it's one of those pages I feel like I, I I always like felt that it probably reached across everything for everybody. The it's the narration itself just being like it's messy and it wasn't necessarily great, but it was really beautiful. Yeah. Right. And, and that's just that's that transcends it being a, you know, quote unquote queer comic. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting because the the sort of the three stacked effect that I had because I don't I don't remember my impression from the first time that I, sure. I read Enigma. But yeah. this time the three stacked effect was weirdly like, oh, huh, this seems familiar. Is it from the first time that I read it or is it that this is very much like a description that I remember from Michael Chabon's The Mystery of Pittsburgh, which considering that was written back in 88 and was Chabon's first novel, I was like, oh, I wonder I wonder if The Mysteries of Pittsburgh was an influence on Enigma. And also, on after all of that, kind of a relief of, oh, well then... Sort of like, oh, that's fine. Sort of, I'm worrying too much about, you know, whether or not us ask me asking everyone to read Enigma was I picked a sufficiently queer comic, you know, or <laughs> justifiably queer comic. Is Michael Chabon is, you know, a married dude with kids who I definitely would think of as a queer writer, you know, um, and in fact exists more comfortably in this kind of. Uh, of a of a of a queer continuum, I suppose, as opposed to, I think you know, back in the nineties and eighties, my experience of 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 sexuality was that it was way more it was way more binary, and not just in male female, but it was also gay straight, like. Biphobia was such a heavy duty thing that, and I guess, you know, still, right. And still (laughs) is, still is a very big struggle. But I mean, like the fact that we've gotten to a point where, where people can sort of talk about that is kind of a big step forward in a way. I mean, you know, it's frustrating as hell, but. Jeff, you and me are, you and me are old dudes. And like, I also remember when it was a binary, right? There was gay and there was straight. Right. And like bisexuals were inherently suspicious. Yes. Because they because they had not picked a side. Right. Exactly. Right? They'd not picked a side or it was some sort of weird larval state. You know what or, I mean? Like or they it was a trick. Yeah. But like for real, there was a, like a, a suspicion know. on like on From every... all sides. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For exactly. Oh, no, I... I trust me. I very deeply remember. <laughs> I remember. You're like I was there. Yeah, I yes. was the it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I remember in high school dating, uh, dating a girl, and her being really concerned that I was going to leave her for a guy. I remember dating tons of guys who who were afraid that you know I was going to leave them for a girl because now I had more chances, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> which is which right. is my favorite thing because I'm like you're fucking right, like. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, I don't know if you could hear that, but she literally leaned into the microphone. Oh, it was perfect. It was so perfectly done. It really was. Well done, Chloe. Yeah, Um, no, 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 no. no. But but it's, 
like the the 80s and i'm like you know this comes out in 93 right like i think what chloe's been saying about the the context in which this was created and the context in which this was published is important Uh like when this is published at least the 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 media i was was familiar with Uh you would have gay characters but gay characters would exist honestly to come in and teach the straight people a lesson that gay people are not inherently scary Mm -hmm. and then die right Right, that was it. That was their story. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. and there were other stories for gay people, but it was in gay media, and that was something else. Mm-hmm. Right, and so Enigma, for me at least, you know, it's not just groundbreaking in that, like, this was a comic published by DC, and crazily enough, this was a comic created originally for Disney. Mm-hmm. Right, isn't that so, amazing? Yeah. Um, but this is a comic published by DC. This is a comic that is not advertised or promoted as a gay story. That's you know, right. Despite the fact that no. the last chapter is called queer. Mm-hmm. Right? Which feels very much like a statement of intent. Very much like we are not, I don't know, like we're not in any way hiding what the story is. We're not in any way pretending that it's something it's not. But it was not sold as this is a gay story, and yet it was also telling a story that is very much at odds with what the quote-unquote mainstream gay story was at the time. You know? Like, that feels... And maybe this is me projecting because of the context in which I read it originally, but Mm -hmm. it feels like it broke new grounds in that alone. Well, this was also... If it was about 93, then that's still when the word queer was being used. Um, No, around the late 80s, early 90s is when the word queer really started to become uh, reclaimed. Yeah, through through the the act up stuff. Yeah, yeah. and Mm -hmm. even us being able to use the word queer so freely as we are on this podcast never would have happened during that period. And even just the, the issue is just straight up named queer. It's, it's really, um, that alone is kind of a statement. Yeah, it's true. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty strong all by itself. Yeah, it's true. I, I think that's, that's absolutely right. Um, and, and weirdly something that I perhaps too easily overlooked I, I feel, and Jeff, you can tell me if I'm completely off base with this or not. I feel that Chloe and I both see this as a positive experience, like I, I, uh, a positive portrayal of of a queer story, and 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 one that honestly, at least for me, it doesn't matter whether or not Milligan and Fregredo and Van Valkenburg are queer themselves. Right, because right. the story rings true. The story works no matter what. And yet, I feel right. that you are much more anxious about the the context of its creation, but also how it's aged. Yeah, I think. I. I mean, I think it's. I think. I think. Well, I definitely am. Uh, and I think that there's a couple of different factors for that and i think that there is uh, um, among other things some of that is um because this is a piece that is of its time of the 90s there's a lot of things that we don't have to 
um, that aren't that aren't the same as a modern context. Like it right now, there is a very strong um, and understandably justified audience that talks about the need for queer comics to be uh, queer characters to be written by queer creators or characters of color to be written by people of color like back in the 80s and back in the 90s it's pretty awesome that like storm is seen as this amazing powerful character and you know and that's that's a huge thing and whatever else that chris claremont is bringing to it that's a little messy is back then very easy to overlook but of course 20 or 30 years down the line people of color are like hey why don't a a i want to write those characters and b i why can't i also write the white characters you know sure. why the hell is it that i can't write so and so and what have you so there's there's a little bit of a of an element of anxiety for me of like well st- so you're worried about being the straight guy doing a podcast about a queer comic and talking about it in that sense no 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 i (laughs) i mean uh, that could be i mean i i imagine that weirdly enough that is actually not not really my concern i guess because i yeah because i think that's on the thing no i think i think more the idea of there's a way in which again layers of authenticity are kind of more at the fore um now in in the you know the year 2021 you know and and perhaps understandably so because there is so much um you know it it, one of the things that's been a huge discussion that i feel is super important to have is how corporations for example co-opt pride and queerness for this month so i you know it makes sense that to me that there's a certain amount of um challenging the 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 bona fides of of enigma um but i also think there's things that i see in it that have again i don't know how much of it is like this is what it would take to publish something in the the 92 or 93 from even as a relatively big publisher that as you would think of vertigo being you know that honestly you you have a lot of talk throughout enigma of 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 the of enigma being a dangerous character of him being uh titus who is is openly gay you know is saying to michael there's something wrong with this guy like there's a lot of you know basic instinct that launched you know lord knows how many lipstick lesbian encounters you know there's still a lot of yeah i I feel like i feel like you're i feel like titus can say that enigma is dangerous and worrying has got nothing to do with him being queer yeah like no. I, I i think that you're arguably conflating things um uh, i mean maybe i mean that could be the case i just think that there is I mean, if, but if you think what enigma is doing and especially when they don't know what enigma is doing right all they know is enigma is this person who keeps appearing when all these fucked up things are happening 
I think that's I think that's a justifiable thing for Titus to say. And also, mm-hmm. you've got to remember, Titus is gay. Yes. No. I. Uh, yes. Exactly. I, I guess what. Right. I, I, I'm, don't, I don't think there's a he is queer, therefore, especially when as as Titus is saying this, Enigma being queer is is not uh, a factor in the story. Like it's it's not it's not been known. You don't know anything about Enigma. He is an Enigma. Wah wah. Right. Yeah. So it, right. It's. I feel that you're reading something in that isn't actually there. Uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is, is that it seems to me that unless that, that if you pay attention to what the, what is being said in the course of the story, which again is poetry and loveliness and beautiful and beauty and a lot to do with, um, with the inclusiveness and the love. If you take those things aside, which is, again, inherently a ridiculous thing to do, you have a story about a master manipulator who turns someone gay, who is, you know, a semi-cannibal sociopath who's able to rewrite reality and doesn't understand anyone or anything and and the narrator which of course the great denouement and revelation of who that is 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 wonderful um spends a lot of time mocking michael for being a crybaby and a milksop and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and hapless and and so if you if you if you twist the story and not by much it becomes um um a crueler more um fearful reactionary thing. okay but i think you have to twist the story and i think you're but reading. not by but, that. But, but not I, that you, much is what for, I'm saying, and me, that's where me. my ambiguity comes, where my ambivalence okay. comes in. But for me, at least, you're reading misanthropic as homophobic. I mean, sure. I I I I will take your word for it, and I mean, and it's fine. It's fine. I think it's interesting. There's probably. I wish we had another hour to unpack my responses to it because I think that that's. <laughs> Because I think that that's kind of a fascinating primordial swamp in its way, you know. But it's like, if you guys aren't worried, then great. No, and I, it's also a great read, you know. I, I, I'm not worried, but maybe I'm wrong. I, I just know that for me, I find it well, a, a positive and uplifting story. I think there are plenty of people. I, I know plenty of people who um, don't agree with how this is aged. And mm-hmm. that's entirely fine. I also know a whole host of gay-ass nerds, including myself, who still find it one of the most uplifting and not intent, like, uh, not a queer story that intended to be a solely queer story. And Mm -hmm. the, the whole thing is you can't please everybody. Just like all the pride issues that are coming out from DC and Marvel right now, you can't please everybody and they are going to fuck it up. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you've not even read the Marvel one. <laughs> well, actually, but, let but me I, ask you, there... this may be a really weird comparison, but like, 
I, I and I apologize for for barging in on your point, Chloe. But one thing I did want to say is is like to to roll things back. Back in the seventies and eighties and nineties, not only was queer culture very different, but superhero culture also was in a way. So, for example. If you got a Spider-Man TV show in which the costume looked shitty, there was maybe half a fight scene, there were no supervillains, you know, and there was like a villain of the week, or if you were lucky, the Incredible Hulk punched a bear, maybe. Um, Is there something where queer content and superhero content has changed over time from, well... You know, kind of like we were we were in a desert, and any amount of material that we got <laughs> was good enough to so like what? now being like, oh, I cannot believe what a horrible job they did of translating the classic version of so and so, and they better get it right when they when they bring this Loki in to to capture the nuances oh, of Karen Gillan's storylines. Yes, okay. <laughs> Are you happy with scraps, is what I'm saying. Okay, so here's the thing. And I I truly think that the answer to this question is, it depends on when you were reading comics. It depends Mm -hmm. on where in comics you connect with the most. I personally connect with things like Enigma, which a lot of people consider outdated and and, and unacceptable in terms Mm -hmm. of queer comics content. But it's what I connect with because it's it's what... um, it's what I felt the most close to in my in my experience and mm-hmm. with my emotions and coming out. There are also tons of people who are excited for like the DC Pride special, which is very cute, like incredibly cute and well done. And mm-hmm. then there's the Marvel one that we won't talk about. <laughs> and, right. Holy shit. I mean, but there's <laughs> but I mean, yes, I mean, we're, we're sick of getting scraps. We're sick mm-hmm. of getting scraps, but you know what? If you know where to dig in the right places, there is still something that you can connect with on a deeper level. It's just probably there. there's a good chance that it's going to come from an unlikely place. I mean, it could be people going back and reading like Stuck Rubber Baby. This is the third time this has come up now. Get it under control. Um, right. This could be like <laughs> Stuck Rubber Baby. It could be Enigma. It could be Gay Comics. Snagglepuss. It could be Snagglepuss from a couple of years ago. There are so many places where queer content can be found. And surprisingly, and we had a whole discussion about this the other day, DC has a surprising number of, of queer characters throughout their publication history. Oh, and sorry. Just starting in like the 90s. Start, starting in the 90s. But like, it's it's just not something that's that's often that's often talked about because for the most part they were somewhat smaller books. Mm-hmm. And I think it's all in where you look. And the fact of the matter is uh, a lot of these larger companies, DC's trying their best, God help them. They're uh, a lot of these bigger companies are not interested in how you feel when you read these comics. They are interested in selling them. They're interested mm-hmm. in the monetary aspect. They're interested in turning your pride into better sales. Mm-hmm. And while, I mean, it's comics, you got to make money. <laughs> I get it. But God, especially if you're hiring these incredibly talented queer creators who are finally being given their due and their spotlight and their place in the sun where they should have been for years. 
at least make it something worthwhile that's going to speak to the audience and let them have that room to breathe. Because otherwise, it's still not about speaking to your queer audience. It's about you feeling like a good job for patting yourself on the back because you did something for the gays. Like, mm-hmm. and we're back to the Marvel Pride. Yeah, <laughs> we're back to the Marvel Pride special. So- well, uh, actually, if, if we can, if we can step roll that back uh, to an earlier point in our conversation, and maybe I'm missing the mark. Is that something that's going on with Hickman's X Men as well, or the the X Men reboot? Because um, I I feel that there is a certain amount of you know Graham talked about the the civil rights metaphor for the X Men, but of course there's a very strong uh, queer culture contingent for for the X Men metaphor as well. And is there? Oh, Jeff. Yes. Am I? Santing is going to get us in trouble. <laughs> okay. Yes. Santing is going to get us in trouble. Okay, I won't. Um, just. <laughs> I'm. I'm gonna. Oh, I'm no, gonna dust no, off myself no, it's, it's real one quick. Of, it's one of those. There are things that like. I have said out loud that will that, make people could, mad. But also, so, oh, also, there's things you know that you should not say out loud. Yes. So. So. Uh, part. It's. It's just like the civil rights thing. People, if. If you want to read these things into it, if that's what makes you feel good as a reader, if you see yourself in a comic, because you can say, this character is queer, or even better, if if the company comes through and, and the writer that's on it says, this character is queer, and you get to see a little bit of yourself in it, awesome. That's amazing. And I'm so happy for you. And I hope you get to keep doing that. But also... The X-Men has never been about queer rights explicitly. Stop. Well, no, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. It's, stop grabbing uh, the microphone. I won't stop grabbing. I will stop grabbing the microphone when people stop trying to pull this bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, but there's bullshit, but is – how do I put it? Like, bruh. Um, there's how these things evolve. One of the things that is great about the X-Men be, is thanks to Chris Claremont being just an amazing all hands across the deck perv, like, you know, the, the X-Men, which is how we, uh, most of us think of the X-Men. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You were going to say, let me, Absolutely. you know what I mean? Yeah, that Chris Claremont was an across the deck perv. Uh, oh, okay, an across the deck perv like really infuses the X Men, you know, which is to say the era that starts with you know Wolverine, Colossus, Nightcrawler, etc., and moving forward becomes more and more and more and more imbued with a level of queerness to it that is that is you know pretty awesome sure. and. Yeah, but you know, here, here's here's the thing, Jeff. It's that is true, and there are a lot of instances, mind you. I I just can't be arsed to read X Men these days. I'm too fucking tired. I can't. All right, so, I'm the but, same. Yeah, okay. But, I'm, I'm, but I try my best to keep up with what's at least happening. And mm-hmm. while I appreciate that over the past, oh, let's say, twenty thirty years, X Men has been slowly and gradually more queer. There is absolutely no fucking reason why there are not any characters who are 
blatantly made like all out queer and not canceled afterwards or why there are no non-binary trans characters. Mm-hmm. There is no reason why this should not happen. And giving people a pat on the back, despite them being like, oh, yeah, no, the X-Men's really great for being queer. And we've definitely, you know, we've got we've got some bisexual characters and stuff like that. That's all fabulous. It really is. And it's a mark for improvement. But it's about damn time that there are some big changes made and people stop patting these folks on the back for doing the bare fucking minimum. Well, and so I guess my point is, is isn't, is there a way, and th- this is from me not reading the books, but sort of looking at them from a distance in which Hickman's X-Men or the, the, the Hickman led X-Men universe is sort of like one ginormous corporate pride month you know where it's kind of this i wouldn't go that far Uh, (laughs) everyone's like hold on here roll it back i think you'd have to unpack that secondly i think that uh marvel has done some genuinely gratuitous queer painting yes lately Mm -hmm. um inside the x-men and outside Mm -hmm. Uh, more next week uh no for real I, i think there's like there's some real fucking shitty stuff that's been done. Um, and so part of me is like, do you mean it in the sense of like corporations going, look, here's a rainbow flag version of our local pride month? Because that's yes. sure. Yeah. That, I, yeah, I like, think that, that I, what I, I mean is, I think doing, I think doing shit like on the moon, Wolverine's bedroom leads into Jean Grey's leads into Cyclops. They're Maybe, in a polyamorous relationship but like, now. But literally never doing anything beyond innuendo on a fucking map is mm-hmm. is just like I think it's I think it's really shitty. I, I think it's it's really cheap. Yes. And I, I think it's tacky. There yeah. there are so many people that have read into that and seen hope through that, and that's that's wonderful, but it's not enough. Or or um, Kitty Pride's like being bisexual. It, yeah, but but that's literally doesn't go beyond like one kiss. Isn't she dating a dude now too? In the I have, no, but she officially is too busy to have a relationship, which is how they're sidestepping the idea of like is she or queer or not. Well, they're literally going, "Oh, she's too busy to do it." Um, like there's been there has been a lot of there has been a lot of like teasing and not a lot of follow through, and so in that sense, yeah, it feels like the cheap version of a pride month. Uh, well, but... I, I mean, and this is, this is perhaps to step things into at the risk of, of muddying waters. I think one of the reasons why I, I made the comparison is for those reasons, the idea of like corporations enriching themselves or rather looking more viable or progressive than they actually are through the lens of of how they present but also I, I think that there's something that is as we know there was the entire crazy conversation of how much quote unquote kink should there be at pride that was uh, see yeah, you're literally just going to get her screaming again <laughs> yeah. let, let's just not go down this road but I will say this because I've been making lots of jokes about the Marvel Pride special mm-hmm. uh the Marvel Pride special starts off with a four-page sort of history of, of, you know, queerness in Marvel. And it starts with, it's always been there since the dawn of man. And of the four characters they show, like, one of them is over four years old. 
They literally are like, caveman, Starbrand was queer back in the dawn of time. And I'm like, he was fucking created in 2017. Right. Like, that's right. fucking cheap. What's yeah. like, uh, what happened? I mean, Iceman got cancelled. The series got cancelled. That character's still around. Yeah. And X-Force. X-Force and is still going. Is it? Yeah. Oh. X-Factor is the one that got cancelled. X-Factor. That's the one that got... That's X the one. Yeah, X-Factor has gone the way of all things flesh. And X-Factor was the one where the writer was like, yeah, we're going to deal with trans issues. Yeah, we're going to deal with queer issues. And that comic is gone. It ends, hilariously, with this month's issue. Wow. X-Factor gets killed during Pride Month. Good job, Marvel. You know, um, you're not watching Loki, are you? No. Um, so you may or may not remember that Marvel were like, Loki's genderqueer and promo oh. for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry. Oh, can I tell this one? Because yeah, it's my go. fave. So <laughs> their, their, way, their, their way of saying that Loki is, is, gendered, is genderqueer is by... Um, a quick shot that you'll you'll completely miss if you blink too fast of Loki's like write up sheet like file and under gender it says fluid and that's it and what, Jeff wait, but oh, no, hmm. wait it goes further because but, this is all build up to the fact that the second episode this week's episode ends with they're chasing after quote unquote a Loki variant and it's a woman but here's the twist Jeff. Mm-hmm. According to the credits, it's not Loki. What? Oh. Jeff, yeah. let me tell you, I actually screamed. <laughs> uh, so in other words, if in fact the credits are not wrong, and if if the credits and what people's speculation is correct, and I honestly think it is, and it's actually the Enchantress, then mm. Marvel is like, Loki's gender fluid as basically a fake out. To bring in uh, the Enchantress. Whoa. I mean, <laughs> let's put it this way: I would absolutely one hundred percent believe that. So yeah, don't the, sure. to the extent I'm making what noises, I'm like, or the idea of making bringing the Enchantress into Marvel continuity and making the Enchantress a Loki very a female Loki variant seems to me like there's a certain amount of um, efficiency there that kind of makes okay, sense so, to me. Wait, so you're basically saying the Enchantress in the MCU will be Loki? Yes, will be a female version of Loki, will be a female variant. That makes sense to me, yeah. Well, honestly... That. Your I... optimism lifts my spirit. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, don't get me wrong. That's the. the... I, I, I'm just saying. I think Marvel has been doing a lot of queer baiting. Yes, I um, definitely. I, and I. Agree. It, so it's funny for you to be like, but what if the Hickman X Men is like a Pride Month? It's like there's so many. Well, notice I said corp. Well, yeah, and I really did mean it in this the corporate cynical way that there is something about. Um, a celebration of the quote unquote values as a way of it's performative yeah yeah that that's yeah that's performative celebratory but also performative and again there's sort of a strain there's like how do i put it like there's a 
um, someone who is more tied into the current day zeitgeist, which is say someone like Jonathan Hickman, being like, no, 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 you, you, you have to embrace the queerness of X Men of the X Men, but in a very coy, special, celebratory, you're awesome, but we're also not giving you anything like an authentic experience, which is to say to me what feels like a very corporate pride experience. So uh, that's kind of what I meant. Okay. <laughs> not, I don't even mean that in a defensive way. Just like, no, that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, I, I, yeah, is no, there, I, I, I understand. Yeah. It's yeah. just like, I... I do think that Marvel is 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 like queer baiting, and it's 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 shitty, and it's especially shitty, you know, when like the Bright Special is coming out, and mm-hmm. and from what I've heard, the Bright Special is uh, a quarter of it is basically reprint material. Wow. Yeah. Of what? Uh. I'm not good. <laughs> of Enigma it, by okay. Peter Milligan and Duncan oh, yeah, Trevino. Yeah, yeah, Can I give a hint? Yes. I am gay. <laughs> really? Wow. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, and so I don't know. I just, it's, uh, it's <laughs> cool, Chloe. I'm tired, Jeff. Well, you know, yeah. one of the, what was interesting was I wrote a thing for THR about like mm-hmm. uh, Marvel and DC are posting Pride specials this year, right? And I contacted Marvel and I contacted DC, and I basically I basically asked them the same questions, right? Mm-hmm. And Marvel were like, "Here's the answers to half of them, and we're going to respond to the other half on background." Mm-hmm. And DC were like, "Here's Marie Javins, and here's Chris Conroy," mm-hmm. and you know, DC were pretty like, yeah, no, we're 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 really pushing behind this. It's not just a one-off. Like we've got the Crushing Lobo series, we've got the Aquaman um, miniseries, which you can get to announce because we've not talked about that yet. You know, we've got the uh, we've got all these other books that are part of it. This is something we believe in. And Marvels was just like, and, and I'm not exaggerating. The actual answers I got on the record were: we support lots of different groups. That's why we have the Marvel Voices Initiative. And Pride is one of those. Mm. Yeah. Right? And mm-hmm. it, it, there was no greater way to contrast them by than just letting both of the companies speak for themselves. It was very... Right. Um, you know the episode of Arrested Development where Lucille Bluth says, here's $5, go see yourself Star War? <laughs> yes. It's basically the comics version of that with here's, Pride stuff. Here's ten dollars. Go buy yourself ten, a Marvel Voices. Special. Yes, here's ten dollars. Go see yourself a homosexual. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean I have to say I think that might also be a joke in season five of Arrested Development, but I don't. <laughs> I would I would take the ten dollars. <laughs> yeah. By all means, except it's more like give me ten dollars and uh, yeah. And go see yourself a homosexual. Well, so uh, it's been close to two hours, this particular... Three hours. Yes. We've been talking for three hours. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So I think maybe (laughs) it's probably worth uh, closing things down a little bit. But A, I'm really glad that we got a chance to talk about Enigma. I honestly think that we... there's 
there's so much to unpack. It's a really great book. It'd be wonderful if if people listening to uh, Chloe's sensible points, uh, Graham managing to keep me from you know spilling babble all over the place, and my semi relentless babbling managed to convince someone to go and pick pick it up because it is it is a wonderful remarkable experience and again strangely overlooked i hope that the burger books release helps reverse some of that yeah because i, I, I think it is mm-hmm. so um and that said anything else anyone wants to throw in before we move into the the, the closing comments side of things since we were I talking for throw three in, hours we should wrap it up because it's been three hours jeff <laughs> yes yes graham thank you thank you very what, much what i appreciate that it's 10 p.m <laughs> I love the the closing thoughts. I'm like, any closing thoughts? You're like, yes, yes, I think we should close. I'm like, no, Graham, that's not yeah, what I mean no by closing thoughts. You're like, what are your thoughts about closing, Graham? Are you for it? Tell me. I'm curious. It's so warm. It's so warm. You're lucky I'm not just like, did you see yeah. the story in The Guardian about the man who had the, who got the pigeon no, and their, their blood no, brothers? Sorry, no. And you go, no. what what are your closing thoughts oh i don't have any but i was just gonna lean in and tell you that you were sounding very much like a late night host going it's It's, very fucking 10 p.m it's 10 p.m wait what listeners time to get tired yeah exactly yep come back next week for more wait what after dark Ooh. So uh, I will actually. Oh, I I will. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I just feel like you got to have that sort of jazzy. All right. Uh, well. Um, so yes. Let let it let us close things down. Um, Graham, you want to you want to you want to hit the the high notes. Uh, the high notes. I, I, part of me is like, you want me to sing? No. Yes, please. Um, there oh, are going to be Lord. show notes for this episode up on Wait What Podcast. Uh, on no, when this episode goes live because it's not a draw. And Jeff's much better at this than me. We have a Twitter account at Wait What Podcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at Lazy Bastard at L A Z Y B A S T I D. I have a Twitter account at Graham M G R A E M E M. And Chloe, you can spend, spell your Twitter account out yourself. Oh, okay. Mine is. Uh, punk rock mom jeans p-u-n-k-r-o-k-m-o-m-j-e-n-s-j-e-n-s-j-e-n-s-j-e-n-s-j-e-n-s-j-e-n-s-j-e-n-s-j-e-n-s-j-e-n-s-j-e-n-s-
Uh, we are not back next week because so we have a week off, and then we're back the week after that. So I think it's the first weekend, the first weekend in July, right? I believe that is correct. Yes. Uh, yes. So in other words, take next week off. It's going to be great. And then um, after that, we will be back with another Wade Watt, and then there's Drock after that, which I'm halfway through. Hooray! Good for me. Other than that, 